Hello everybody and welcome to Double Oz 7, uh, Australia's only James Bond podcast, uh, the world's sixth favourite James Bond podcast, the world's 9,864th favourite film related podcast. We are back for episode 14 of our watch through of all the James Bond films, including Barry Nelson's Casino Royale. Eventually. Eventually, and this week we are talking about the one, the only, for your eyes only. Oh wait, oh wait! Uh, I've just got the memo that we've changed our mind. <laughs> We're backtracking, and we are talking about everyone's favorite James Bond film, Moonraker, from 1979. That film that was inspired by the wave of sci-fi films, inspired by Battlestar Galactica. I mean, Star Wars. We are here to talk about. Probably the kookiest shit to ever exist in James Bond <laughs> history. You know? I don't even have a funny thing to open with. I am Noah, and this is going to be one hell of a ride. I can say that now. My name is Ben, and I'm simply a humble pilot serving the Drax Corporation. <laughs> and I'm Colin, and I'm sponsored today by 7UP. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you are well aware, we're talking about Moonraker, um, the fourth Roger Moore film. Can't believe we're already nearing the halfway point, or pretty much halfway through the films, only three more after this one. So, sad yet exciting. Um, I guess what we should do, as we always do, is talk about our general feelings after this rewatch and our past history with Moonraker. And for me, I think if you get over the fact that James Bond goes to space, just get over it. It, it happened, just admit it happened and forget about it. If you can get over that little hump, then I think it is an enjoyable film. And even the space stuff is enjoyable for me. It is crazy. Uh, it is, tell you right now, it's not in my top five. Um, but it's just so much fun. I don't care if James Bond is kooky. It's just a fun film. I don't think it needs to be this serious Daniel Craig stuff, evident from me having Diamonds Are Forever second on my list. Um, so I enjoy it. It's, it's not high-class cinema, but it is a hell of a lot of fun. Um, there's definitely some stuff in there that makes me cringe a lot and stuff that could have been fixed so easily. But I have to say, I enjoy Moonraker. It's a fun film. <sighs> um, yeah, look, I, <laughs> I'm i exactly like you, Noah, in the fact that I, I don't... It doesn't have to be super serious and, you know, all that Daniel Craig-esque style. I, I've been well on the record of saying I love my over-the-top Bonds, and yes, I'm a Die Another Day fan, so you know I like that style of Bond film. I think you look at... I think we when we did You Only Live Twice, we kind of mentioned that, Moonraker, and Die Another Day is kind of your real, you know, wow, they really just went all out for that, didn't they? I think... The gone too far films. I think the difference between this, Die Another Day, and You Only Live Twice is that this is just beyond the realms of going kooky. Like, this is just, <laughs> let's wake up and go into a production meeting and just come up with the most outlandish shit ever. And, look, this, I think, 
is probably the Roger Moore film, This and A View to a Kill, that I have seen the most. I remember, I've mentioned, I think, in the last episode, that my dad made me watch this one very early. As a young boy, I liked it. Of course you do. It's made you watch <laughs> Ben, you must watch James Bond in space or no dinner. You've been bad. <laughs> Sit down and watch Moonraker. Well, I think that would oh, be a I've good seen punishment. This one the most too from Moore. I think this would be a good punishment for something. Like, oh, no, Dad, I'll eat my broccoli. Watch Moonraker. Um, but it's just something about this, like, I, I went into this rewatch, not probably having seen it in a few years and, you know, like, oh, come on, as a little boy, I like this movie, you know, get that inner child out of you, Ben, but no, just like, this got... Watch what you say here, Ben. (laughs) To be honest, I think it got worse, like, I just... Oh, I feel bad this episode because I'm just going to be the negative Nancy whole time. But, like, there's just... It's so OTT. It's so ridiculous. The star of this movie is a freaking pigeon. Um, I'm just going to stop right now because I'm going to be talking a lot about this throughout this episode. Uh, I saw this first when I was a teenager, and I loved it then. I think it's slowly diminished for me over the years, but I still enjoy this movie. It's still really entertaining, and I think that it's in some ways unfairly criticized, like you were saying, how outlandish it is. And I think outside of the last half hour of the movie, maybe 40 minutes, I mean, the rest of it's just a standard Bond movie. Um, I don't think that this is any more over the top than Invisible Cars and you know giant melting beams from space and a prissy former korean <laughs> now dna changed to brit who's in a robot hey. on a plane at the end of the movie um, <laughs> but that, that'll be another day we'll get into that but this is still a fun movie and the space stuff is actually some of my favorite stuff in the movie as ridiculous as it is because i think the first two acts of the movie tend to be a little bit flat because Roger Moore just doesn't have anybody to play off of. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit throughout, but everything that uh, is in this movie is ridiculous and it's still fun. And I think to label it as James Bond goes into space would be like saying that, you know, you only live twice was James Bond in a volcano for two hours. I mean, it's just a small part of the movie and everything here is pretty enjoyable overall. We'll get into the film, but I've just got a question for you, Ben. Um, if this film, say the climax of this film, they didn't go to space. They're just in, like, NASA control space center or something, and James Bond had to stop a rocket from being launched into space, otherwise it will destroy the moon or something like that. Something stupid, like all James Bond villain plots. But if it was just a big battle in a space station on Earth, and there was no going to space, would you have a different feeling on this? Uh, I don't think so, because I think, uh, like Colin said, it's, you know, leading up to it, it's just a standard Bond film. I think as a standard Bond film, this is a poor film. Like, I, to me, Roger Moore is bored. Um, I think the um, chemistry with him and Lois is non-existent. I think Holly Goodhead is probably the worst Bond girl in the history of the movies. I just think there's got so many problems in the lead-up to the space, and the space just is the icing on the cake for me to really cement this is a terrible film. I I just think the whole setup to it is just is poor. And the only thing that I like about this film, I love Jaws, I love the opening scene, and I am a big, and I don't know why, because sort of watching it comparison, he's not that different to a couple other villains I was bagging out a few episodes ago. I love Drax as a villain. I, uh, there's something about him that I really enjoy. But, yeah, other than that, no, I, I don't think it would change that much if they, yeah, had the fight at, like, Cape Canaveral or something like that. 
Grab key. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of is the Doctor No plot, but anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll get into the film. Moonraker, 1979, Lewis Gilbert, the last Lewis Gilbert film before, well, the last one out of his esteemed trilogy of the same film. Um, so let's just jump into it with the pre-title sequence. And we start with You Only Live Twice, a rocket ship uh, <laughs> being <laughs> captured uh, while the plane's flying. They're exactly like the You Only Live Twice and The Spy Love Me. Uh, Gilbert really had a thing for bigger things, sneaking up onto smaller things. Um, he was bullied as a child. Yeah, um, and as always, we get a M talking to Money Penny, and uh, they need to get Bond, but he's on the African job and cut to Bond, and he's on a plane, and we lead into one of the coolest pre-title sequences, one of the best stunts ever done. Coming off the Spy Love Me, I'm not sure if it was quite as good as Spy Love Me, but it's still just so cool. Um of course, as we already alluded to, Jaws is back, and it's basically this massive free-fall action stunt uh, with Bond versus these henchmen and Jaws falling, and that's all it is, but it's just so cool, and there's so much going on. And again, this is kind of like The Spy Love Me, where it's like a little bit of plot at the start, but then it's also just a, a fun, like, not related to the film that much, just Bond on a mission, like... This African job could have been a whole other film in itself, really. Um, there's not actually a huge amount to talk about, but I just think it's one of my favourite stunts. Although Jaws falling into a circus, um, we could do without that. But I absolutely love this pre-title sequence. I don't think it's overrated or anything like that. See, I agree with you completely. As I think I just mentioned, I love this opening scene. It's a great start to the movie. And, I mean, the, the whole free-falling and the fight in the middle of the sky as they're skydiving. I think it's brilliant. And it took 88 jumps to get the the footage of this. I and mean, what well, it only goes for a couple of minutes, doesn't it? So, again, sort of classic Bond. They did all these stunts themselves. Um, there were hidden parachutes underneath the stunt double suit. Um, and I was reading that the stunt double uh, actually had a very um, strong resemblance to Roger Moore. So that's why there was Jake Lombard is his name. Um, and that's why there was a lot of sort of shots of his face because, you know, you're thinking, oh, that's really Roger Moore doing that shit. He's really getting into his role as James Bond. No, it was... Uh, Jake Lombard. But, yeah, it's it's fun. And I like um, you mentioning sort of the M and Money Penny scene that cuts into it. And, of course, you get the, the little line there that he's on his last leg, sir, as his hand is sliding up, random flight attendant's <laughs> dress. Um, and I love the fact that, yeah, we get Jaws back. I, I can imagine everybody in the, the theatres right now is like, hey, Jaws! Um, but the the whole, the two things I point out, I love it when they're on the... Um, the, the RAF guys are on the plane and the guy's like, just trust the RAF, sir. And the guy's like, ha, 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 ha. And that's the, the space shuttle, like, launches. Why is there a fully fueled space shuttle being transported to England? Like, they would not have fuel on that space shuttle, surely. Like, that's a danger in itself. Um, and I, the one bit, though, uh, the whole sky diving sea, which I'm like, oh, God, is when Jaws crashes into the tent and we get that spinning person that leads into the credits. <laughs> like, that's on screen, I think, for about three seconds too long. It's a bit awkward. <laughs> I was waiting for the... <laughs> like, doesn't it look like the, the man from the... Famous man from the X-Files yes. intro. Or sequence. it could have just been... 
I want to believe that the <laughs> yes. truth is out there. <laughs> um, I, I love this opening sequence. I think that as a full, complete sequence, I think it does top Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me stunt will probably never be topped, but that was one shot. Uh, this sequence here, we have about two minutes of skydiving, and it is some of the best skydiving footage I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, this is one of the things that this movie really does well, is just capturing the locations and uh, showing a lot of good uh, aerial photography, too. Uh, it's something that Lewis Gilbert, all of his movies have been um, uh, very good with. And the fact that like you can't take away from this, you could say it's just skydiving, but sure, maybe they had these parachutes underneath their jackets, but they're still wearing these like suit jackets too. And uh, I can imagine it w if they had to panic and all of a sudden needed to pull this thing, it wouldn't necessarily be easy to take that thing off, you know, in the middle of the skydiving session. So th the stunts are very exciting. Uh, th the footage they got was incredible. It's a great fight scene. And I hadn't really, until I watched it this past time, I hadn't really thought of the same thing that you said, Noah, about this uh, complete different mission that's not even really part of the rest of the movie and how interesting that would be because for whatever reason maybe it was because i was just younger when i was watching this movie originally and i always assumed that he was already working for drax at this point which is of course completely false because jaws is only called in by drax halfway into the movie oh, we'll so it is that. kind of a cool idea yeah it's kind of a cool idea here that jaws is still after james bond for some reason we know stromberg's gone and how many evil uh, psychopaths are there out there who are hiring Jaws every time they need to kill James Bond. It's kind of a cool idea. They could just do a whole spin-off on that. Do you think Jaws returning would have been a bigger impact if uh, Drax is on the phone? We'll get to that scene when he goes, all right, get me, blah, blah, blah. Do you think the impact of seeing Jaws at that airport smiling and doing all that is lost with him being in the pre-title sequence? Yes. Or, or do you think he needs to be in the pre-title sequence? I think it's lost. I think that, um, I mean, I see why they did it, but I think it's it would have been such a good reveal, like, oh, my God, Jaws, yeah, he's back, even though he's like trying to kill James Bond. Um, yeah, because they don't name him in that. Tracks at the office scene, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think it would have been a lot better had they just waited till then. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough because without Jaws in the pre-title sequence, I don't know if it's as entertaining. Uh, as incredible as the skydiving stuff is, a random henchman, not as big of an impact, but it, it really is uh, kind of... Uh, it's, it's counterproductive to introduce him and then have this big reveal later on because it doesn't feel like a big reveal. Uh, I almost wonder whether they should have just kept Jaws in the skydiving scene, moved that to halfway into the movie, and done something different right up front for the pre-title scene. I think that more than anything, they were just trying at this point to always top themselves. So we did you know, this in the pre-title sequence of uh, Spy Who Loved Me, so now we have to do something bigger. Well, that trend doesn't continue into the next film, though. <laughs> Um, we'll get to that though. Hello, Blofeld. Um, let's talk about the song and the intro. Um, not the best of the Bassy trilogy, let's put it that way. Um, it's not that this song's bad per se, it's more just it's so boring. Like, I was falling asleep. It's just, and it's, oh, come on, like, where's the fast forward button? So I don't think the song, like, it's kind of catchy at some points, but it's just so boring. 
And the title sequence, there's almost nothing. It's just flashy, terrible graphics. It's not the worst one. It's kind of an extension of The Spy Love Me, but watching it straight after The Spy Love Me is just embarrassing almost. So not a fan of this song. I think it's the worst of the Bassies, and the title sequence isn't great, but it's it's not the worst Bond song, but it's probably up there. It's bottom five, maybe. Um, it's so boring. To me, it's bottom two. There's only one other song that matches this, and it's going to happen in two movies' Dying time. Um, look, I, I'm a big advocate for 70s songs. I probably would say the 70s is the best decade for music, but this just really lets it down. And you mentioned, uh, obviously, the big high that we had with Spy Love Me. I think the next three films generally have really poor songs. I'll be a bit of a defender of For Your Eyes Only, but not much. Um, but, you know, between this and then when we get to Octopussy, they're just woeful. And I think that this, alongside Octopussy's song, is the worst out of all of them. And... Look, I love Shirley. We we can never discredit Shirley as what she's done for the Bond franchise. She's the only person to ever sing multiple themes, and she did three of them, for God's sake. Well, technically four if they had to use the Quantum of Solace one. Um, but she just she just doesn't seem interested, and, and it, it kind of makes sense, actually, in reading that she was only brought in last minute for it because they wanted Frank Sinatra to do it. He declined it. Funnily enough, actually, I was reading that Frank Sinatra not only was offered the song, he was offered the role of Hugo Drax, but turn it down. Um, <laughs> then Johnny Mathis was approached. He started recording it, and then they felt it just wasn't right. So they bring in Bassie only a couple of weeks before um, this came in, and I think it shows. And the lyrics are shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> where are you? Like, yeah, why are they playing hide and seek? <laughs> and it makes no sense. Like, <laughs> just like the Moonraker goes in search of his dream of gold. Like, the Moonraker isn't going in search of gold. Like, what? Well, I didn't know the Moonraker and was why- Guy. I thought it was a Yeah, why ship. is the Moonraker Raker a he? <laughs> yes. Sexist. Isn't usually like boats and ships female anyway? Hashtag sexist bastard. Well, <laughs> we talked about how like Odd Job got his name, you know, because it was associated with him. Like, who is the guy out there where Moonraker is the best description of him? <laughs> and the, she's turned it into a, well, maybe not she, like, it's written by John Barry and Hal David, but like, it's turned into a love song. Yeah. I search for love. I've seen your smile. This this is not the spy love me. Exactly. This is and like a sci-fi bond in space. There's no. I feel there's like just no reference to anything in the film. Um. So except for the word Moonraker. Um, Similar to yeah. This just made a song with the word Moonraker. <laughs> it's a love song. Like, I reckon this is just Shirley Bassey's song, and she's like, hey, we'll change this lyric to Moonraker, and then it will. But- yeah, it was really written about someone called John. <laughs> <laughs> just Laker. like the John goes in John Laker. Um, but, <laughs> just yeah, and, and the actual sequence itself, like, <laughs> I think it sums it up when they have made it really slow that they've had to wait for Shirley Bassey to say the word Moonraker before revealing the title of the film. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what we're watching. I thought we were watching For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> it's, it's boring. Like, the, the song that we have, Supergirl? Like, why do we have Supergirl <laughs> flying, who then turns into, like, blue and red flashy laser girl, and then we have all these <laughs> flying women spinning around like a washing machine? Like, it's... There's, there's nothing in this... Like, this is... Someone needs to put the X-Files uh, music on. <laughs> nah, between, between... Until we get to Octopussy, this, this, I'm calling it, worst Bond song and worst Bond title <laughs> sequence in the history of all the franchise. Um, the song really doesn't work. I complained about You Only Live Twice that it sounded like a lullaby, but this even more so. I mean, 
I don't think anybody involved in this was really proud of the Moonraker song. Um, and it really does show. It's just... The funny thing is the score, John Barry's score for this movie is probably, you could argue, his most uh, acclaimed and his most loved. But the song just feels like it has no effort in it. And you're totally right about the opening sequence. Even though I think that the the, the title sequence is not as bad as Diamonds Are Forever or Man With A Golden Gun, where basically we saw nothing. We do have some things in there we could at least talk about, like naked Supergirl turning into you know beams of light, but which is made even better when naked Supergirl. For some <laughs> That's reason, a comes good back. metaphor for this film as a whole. The naked Supergirl even comes back spinning on as she sits on a glitter ball, which was my favorite moment <laughs> of the credits. Naked Supergirl on a glitter had, ball. Spider Love Me had a bunch of these crazy things in it, like you know we talked about it last time, but it still felt like it was within the context of the movie somehow. And this just, there's no way you can make sense of this. And it's not even that interesting to watch. Strangely enough, the whole spinning silhouette thing at the beginning after Jaws crashes in, there is probably my favorite part of the title (laughs) sequence. Uh, (laughs) Nothing. Maybe we could have seen like Jaws landing on naked Supergirl and (laughs) we could have had a better sequence. I think that's a different movie. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've pretty much summed up that title. Scene. Go away, Shirley Bassey. You, you've had your time. <laughs> Never to be heard again. Well, maybe. Probably not. Maybe. <laughs> Are you Shirley Bassey? Maybe. All right. <laughs> Let's get into the movie. And we start with Bond at the office, as always. And Colin, a uh, bit of a reference to you. Uh, apparently crashed in the Yukon. Yes. Yeah. Station C. I should say, uh, very sad that as I'm watching this with my wife, she goes, what's Yukon? And I'm like, (laughs) one of our territories. (laughs) Come on. I learned about the Yukon from Calvin and Hobbes. I've got a book where it's like Calvin and Hobbes go all the way to, they want to run away to the Yukon. I just, this James Bond has such a cock tease with Canada. They always <laughs> mention it, and then uh, he never goes there. He always mentions, oh, well, let's go to Canada. Mm. No. About the Bahamas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hooray for Station C. And we learned, as Ben said, that the shuttle uh, was travelling to the UK and it was hijacked midair, and Bond has to go to California. Woo! Uh, forget about the Yukon and cold Canada. And go to Drax Industries. Uh, he gets his watch dart, which I think is pretty cool, and shoots M's painting. Um, oh, thank you, 007. Yeah, which really is a dick move because it looks like an expensive painting. Um, <laughs> just has a massive hole in it now. And one of my favourite lines of the movies: <laughs> "You must get them in stores for Christmas," which I think is a really funny line. Um, not a whole lot to add, but anything to talk about in this little uh, warming up sequence before we get to California. Ben? Um, we should pay special note. This is obviously Bernard Lee's last appearance, <laughs> and he looks very old in this film. Um, that was sort of my real. I think that's because he is very. Well, old. I know that, but it just it just compared to what, like the young man we saw in Doctor No. <laughs> yes, that young whippersnapper who was often, you know, sprightly traveling with Bond around the world. Um. Okay. But it is a bit sad that this is obviously Bernard's last um, uh, intro scene. Um, I like the whole little uh, interaction with Money Penny. Like, oh, where have you been, 007? Oh, I just fell out of an airplane with a, without a parachute. Ah! You don't believe me. 
Money Ooh, Penny dick like moment. I thought that was some of the worst Money Penny acting. No, I just I like the fact that it's Money Penny dick moment. Like she's been a real cow, and Bob Paul Bond's like, you don't believe me. Like why? Why wouldn't you believe I that? You said Money Penny dink moment. Well, that minute. too. Um, I like the whole yeah the wrist. I, I think that's a great gadget, and um, it's funny. Noah, you mentioned the painting. I can tell you, it is a painting of King William the Third of England. Um, there you go. That James Bond encyclopedia is coming in. I know, here. right? I'm, I'm, I'm reading now. Didn't know you were such a painting. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, huge painting guy. <laughs> My question that I have, like, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit here with the whole um, space shuttle, because obviously Drax explains why he had to steal his space shuttle back later on in the film, is wouldn't he just ask because he built it? Like, why does he have to go to elaborate measures oh. to steal it? Like, surely yeah, that... the construction company behind the real space shuttles in, like, NASA... Uh, guys, um, oh, shit, one of ours broke. Let's just hijack it and kill innocent RAF people on a plane to win it back. Like, surely there'd be a phone call made there. Yeah, I, I'm going to have a lot of complaints about that later on when uh, he does reveal this, but... Are we seriously debating the, only, the plot in this film? Well, actually, good point, Noah. <laughs> the only explanation I can give is, does NASA know that he was building some of these for himself? And I think that's, it's a question that is obviously unanswered, but that would be the only possible explanation for that. Good point. Um, okay, well, we'll talk about that. And yes, <laughs> discussing the plot of this film. Shit. Um, but yeah, I've got nothing really else to add. We, we're back to California. I mean, is, is this the... Third time now, second time he's been to California, like probably about the fifth or sixth time he's been to America. Mm-hmm. We always talk. We were there in Diamonds Are Forever. What was the other one? Oh, I'm probably thinking ahead to a view to a kill, so in a second at this point. But, um, yeah, it's. I mean, as for as much as he goes to exotic locations, and he goes to a few in this movie, but he loves visiting America. I didn't realise how much Bond visits America in the franchise. At least it's not Kentucky. <laughs> or North Dakota. <laughs> well, we wouldn't even know about it. <laughs> I only have one thing to add on this scene, and it's something I've been bringing up for a couple of movies now, and it's just starting to get to me. Q is a guy who builds gadgets. He's basically <laughs> an engineer. Why is he always in these top-secret briefings? Like, it's it's starting to feel to me, like, a little bit unusual. Like, I can't really picture Barack Obama, you know, calling his car mechanic into the Oval <laughs> Office as he's discussing foreign policy, like... Q should not be there. Like, does he have clearance for this? He's not a spy. Didn't we establish that he is M. Yeah. <laughs> He's in an M mask. Um, yeah. There's got to be some explanation, but yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, that's about- actually Ray Fiennes underneath there in a, in a uh, Desmond <laughs> Llewellyn mask. Been warming up all these movies. Very young Ray Fiennes at this point. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's the only real complaint I have. I'm not going to say the only complaint of the movie, but <laughs> this is something they've been doing for a couple movies now. And I just, I don't understand why he's there. And he always seems to know what's going on in the missions. But like, he should just be there building stuff. I mean, I don't know of any, well, I don't know of spy agencies in real life anyway. But I would assume <laughs> that they don't have their gadget. Canadian spy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I assume that even the Canadian spy agencies uh, probably don't bring their mechanics in for these top-secret briefings. What is the Canadian spy agency called, just for... Curl. Uh, like, our version of the CIA is called CSIS. CSIS. But interesting story, Ian Sounds Fleming, like one of the reasons... 
one of the reasons that Ian Fleming wrote so much about Canada was because uh, he was trained in Canada. There's actually a spy training camp in Canada called Camp X. That's oh. very famous. Right. Okay. Still didn't go there. Australia's is called um, uh, ASIO. ASIO. Just for uh, ASIO. Yeah. Kids at home. I think if you want to know, Canadians sound like some sort of disease, and Australians sound like you something just... you'd spray mosquitoes. With. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate! Too many mozzies. Oh, get the ASIO, bro. Yeah, and Canadian ceases sounds like some deadly, doesn't it? You will cease and desist. Cease and yeah. desist, that's what I was thinking. You shouldn't be making fun of these agents. No, they're probably listening. We're going to get, like, no- door knocks very shortly. Excuse me, sorry. I'm with uh, ceases. If we don't come back for your eyes only, easy. you know why. Yes, we'll be coming back for Moonraker. Um. Cable Brandon will return with for your eyes only. <laughs> oh, fellas. <laughs> we may not be around much longer. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> Following here is a very long scene and quite a unique scene because we basically get to meet every one of the main cast in this little opening scene of the film. We bond in California, which is fairly unique. Um, and, yeah, he meets with Corinne DeFore, which I personally like Corinne. I've seen some bad things written about her. I think she's fun. Drax's personal pilot. Uh, pretty sure she worked for Pussy Galore's Flying Circus at one point. But anyway. Um, uh, and we learn that Drax is obsessed with the conquest of space. And we fly over Drax's estate and we see the astronauts training, uh, which I always thought looked silly. I don't know why. Um and we meet Drax's servant called Kevin Dish, if I've written that right. <laughs> which is the star of the James Bond series, Kevin Dish. <laughs> Kevin Dish, did I write that? Former Thesis agent. Yeah. <laughs> Name's Kevin Dish, John Kevin Dish. Um, <laughs> and we have the villain meeting this early into the film. Drax playing the piano and Bond meets him. Like, this is probably only 15 minutes in so far. Um, let's just cap it there. There's a lot to talk about here, but maybe just you already mentioned it, Ben, but because we've introduced to it so early, we may as well talk briefly about Drax. And I'm with you. I kind of like him. Um, I think they missed something with Stromberg. But here, I don't think he's one of the all-time greatest, but I think he's a bit bland just the way he looks. He doesn't really have much. He's got a bit of a lisp, but there's <laughs> not much there. But I think he's fun, though. Um, I like that he's got this massive mansion and all these people. And, he, yeah, he's not my favourite, but I think he's good. But Ben Drax and this opening sequence where we meet basically the Bond girl, which we'll get to, and the villain this early into it, and we meet Cavendish, of course. Well, let's be honest. Drax is Hitler. I mean, he's trying to wipe everybody out to create a master race. So oh, yeah. He, he is, is essentially Hitler. Um, I'll get... Except Hitler didn't have a rocket ship. Well, haven't you seen... What was that movie where they had Nazis on the moon and they all came, like, iron something or other? Um, Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, Moonraker. Um, well, I'll get to Drax in a minute. This whole, I'll, I actually don't mind this whole sequence, like, the helicopter, the sweep, and the shots are fantastic. And we, oh, it's shot so beautiful. It is. It looks fantastic. And, like, we see, um, you know, he's big building the Moonrakers and the massive mansion. It's such a beautiful house. Um, I, I read a lot, a lot. A lot of this was filmed in France. So this is an actual place somewhere in France, um, which um, I want to go to because uh, it looks incredible. Um, I actually like Corinne. I think Roger Moore's got more chemistry with her 
than he does with Lois Shields' Holly Goodhead. And the actress's name actually is Corinne as well. Corinne Clary, I want to say. There's an umulet above the E, so I don't know exactly what that means. We're going to pronounce it. But, um, yeah, it's interesting you said how we get this villain set up so early. I mean, my biggest question is, like, we kind of see in these villain setups like, how like he met Stromberg because he's a, a marine biologist, so to speak, so he gets a cover. Where's the cover involved in Bond meeting Drax? Like, is that ever established, how he gets... Well, I think he's supposed to just be a representative for the British government. And so he thinks he's going yeah. to apologize. That's why, okay. Um, I mean, Although he could have called himself David Somerset, though, just to be sure. <laughs> One thing, though, that, I mean, I think a big problem with me with this movie, we talked a lot about it in You Only Live Twice, how the whole movie was essentially Bond just running. He was constantly getting, like, chased after. Um, but that was all in one location. To me, a lot of the problem with this film is everywhere Bond goes, there's somebody yeah. just there ready, to, and it's never really explained how they know he's there. And, like, Drax is, like, straight away wanting to kill Bond. Now, if it is a setup based on, oh, here's somebody from the British government coming to apologise, then Drax really must fucking hate the British government if he's just going to try and kill... If, like, what's that with the Prime Minister? Oh, come on into the giant spinny machine, Prime Minister. We'll give you a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting point, though, because that was You Only Live Twice, which was Gilbert as well. Mm. But then Spy Love Me, they kind of ditched that whole thing. Like, we had Jaws constantly chasing after him. But they kind of ditched the, let's have a henchman here, a henchman here, a henchman here. And it's weird that they de- decided, I'm not sure how much Lewis Gilbert had a say on that, but they decided to just bring back henchmen everywhere, like You Only Live Twice. And I know it's kind of a trope of the Bond films that that's always there, but yeah, you mentioned Spike. Like, I think it's explained, like, if it's got a bit of logic behind why there's a henchman after Bond, I can easily look after over that, because if I didn't, then I'd have a problem watching these movies. But, like, to me, like, Moonraker, just a big issue with it is, like, he's in Venice, he's just on a boat, all of a sudden, there's a boat art, like, why? Well, what's he doing? He's just like... Well, he stole files. Well, he's chilling in Venice before. Like, I don't know. And Rio, he's just on the Amazon. Like, how do they know he's out there? (laughs) Like, he's... How upset is M going to be when he finds out, we have this important mission, the world could all end, and you're chilling in Venice? (laughs) I don't know. I'm jumping ahead with a lot of scenes. But, like, the... I always love the interactions between Bond and the villain because, you know, it's, it's, again, the trope. They're just setting it all up. And with Drax, like, he really is a Stromberg or a Largo if you kind of analyse. Like, he's not... He's not a gold finger. He's not super eccentric. He's not a Blofeld. Like, he's kind of a bland character. But I just think the difference with him is just... The, the evil vibes, like he's this, you know, he's not a Stromberg who just isolates himself in Atlantis and it just has nothing else but the fact that he wants to have this scene. Maybe the, they're kind of similar in a way that Stromberg wants to have this underwater life and Drax wants to have a space life. So they're kind of similar. But Drax being this really rich prick on his piano and he just surrounds himself with people and he's building in this space. There's just something about him that I enjoy as a villain. Um, maybe I like Hitler. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Probably should have said that. But I, I, Edit point, Mr. Lazy. I do, I do like the interaction with the, the butler guy. What was his name, Noah? Kevin Dish. <laughs> like, um, and then the whole scene where Drax is like, oh, and the only um, influence that your country has had on Western society Afternoon tea. Would you like a cucumber oh, sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favourite lines. Mildred there's like, oh fuck yes, I want a cucumber sandwich. I'm hungry, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, wow, we Moon's covered so much old. of yeah, we covered so much of what I want to talk about in Drax with this. Uh, Drax is not a great villain. I think that as an actor, Michael Lonsdale's about as bored as everybody else in this movie. Um, <laughs> so I think between the two villains, Stromberg versus Drax, I think that we get a better performance out of Stromberg, but there's more time given to developing Drax, and he has a little bit more of an interesting character. But the most interesting thing I find about Drax is his need to use these ridiculously big words to describe everything. <laughs> like, I had to look up the quote here you were just talking about, Ben, and I'm going to have a couple of ridiculously long-winded big-worded Drax quote throughout this podcast, but he says, you have arrived at a propitious moment considered to be your country's one indisputable contribution to Western civilization. Afternoon tea, may I press you to a cucumber sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Did did Ian Fleming ever in his wildest dreams think this is what a Bond villain would be? I mean, (laughs) he's just such a, it's such an unusual introduction to his character. You have this very distinguished man offering cucumber sandwiches. He's got these kind of stuck-up ladies that are there listening to his piano recital, and he's got an Aikido instructor henchman serving tea in a kimono. Like, it's just... Even the parts of this movie that are normal are just so bizarre when you break it down. Like, it's it's such such a strange character and strange villain. It's hard to think that you could take him seriously as a Hitler. I think that's my biggest complaint, because... (laughs) He's just such as a, a Hitler. <laughs> as a Hitler, yeah. well, like multiple Hitlers that we've had, <laughs> as one of the Hitlers of history. Um, but I don't know; it's it's okay, and I, I will agree. That I think Corinne is the most interesting Bongrillas movie. Having said that, if we put her even in Man with the Golden Gun, we'd be complaining. Well, this is the bland Bond girl. I mean, there's not a lot of time put in developing any characters in this movie. Uh, I think that Chang, I'm going to be interested to get more opinions on him as we go around, because again, like at times, very ridiculous. We just have a brief introduction to him in the scene. Very ridiculous henchman, uh, not particularly memorable, but yet something kind of funny about him. It's funny with this whole scene, like, and like you get obviously that sense of Drax control, though, like with the whole dogs, with the way he has, puts the meat on the ground and then he can click their, his fingers towards them as well. And like how he has the, the women there, as you said, like just watching him play his piano and then he's just like introduces them to Bond and then they leave. Like, yeah, which is such an awkward moment too because they're like, oh, this is, you know, Miss Whatever and the Countess Whatever. This is Mr. Bond. And they just sort of look at him and get up and walk out. <laughs> I ha- he said something about Bond's reputation. Like, did Bond slam both of these girls before? And I just have to quickly say before Noah moves on, like, I also love the fact that when he's there, like, oh, escort him to Dr. Goodhead. Like, Bond's assuming that it's a guy. <laughs> there's no puns or anything. Like, there's no, oh, I must be dreaming or anything like that. Her name's fucking Goodhead, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and then, like, as soon as he leaves and we get um, Drax, what's his line? Like, see that harm comes to him. Again, like, he's just yeah. met this guy. He's a... Thinking he's somebody like he's got to know who Bond is. Clearly, again, James Bond doesn't really keep. I like, his I like to think that um, Harm is uh, the other servant with Kevin. <laughs> See that Harm comes to him. And what, also, like, do we ever know where Drax is from? Like, is is, uh, fr- France, is he German, French? Like, he's not English. He's not American. I'm just the from name outer space. Comes from the Moonlight <laughs> novel, but other than that, this movie <laughs> borrows. 
bear nothing of the novel, really, other than the name of Drake. Well, here's an interesting little tidbit, and I'm not just doing this so I can play this song. Sorry, song. Um, but there's... There's, the, I was reading in regards to Die Another Day that they actually used a lot of names from the Moonraker novel that weren't used in this film, in the Die Another Day yeah. film. So there's a weird comparison between, and we were talking about... Well, it's not even the Bond girl in the novel. It's Gala Brand. Yeah. And they that decided that it wasn't Brock. saucy enough or something. Right, okay. Which is sad that we've got this kind of missing Bond girl who's never been used. Um Poor Gala. All right, moving on, and we introduced, as we've already mentioned, to Drax's random Asian henchman named Chang, or as my subtitles said, Cha, but Wikipedia Cha. says Chang. That too. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, my subtitles, subtitles were saying Cha, but Wikipedia says you. it's Chang, so I guess we call it Chang, him Chang. The subtitle yeah. guy was just couldn't type an N and his N and G buttons weren't working on his keyboard. Well, I thought they were saying his cucumber Char sandwich was wedged in between the N and the G. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chang, who I'm convinced exists only as a reason to introduce Jaws into the film. Like that is the only reason this guy exists. And why? Why does he just have a random guy who does not fit in with anyone else there? He's like, did he just travel to, like, China or something, grab him and, like... He's, he worked with Goldfinger. He... Like, he went with Goldfinger on a trip to recruit yeah. henchmen. Like, oh, Asian well, people, no, let's remember, get there. No, go back even more so. Remember Dr. No when Bond knocked out that one guy and he was just wandering around Dr. No's lair? He's like, Chang, you idiot, what are you doing? <laughs> it's him. That's his he dad. <laughs> He's at the same henchman recruiting agency as Jaws is recruiting. Well, you from were talking the- about that Jaws thing. Like they must, like they didn't have the internet back then, but they must have some agency like henchman recruiting agency. This is Jenny. <laughs> so, so you want to be a henchman? <laughs> That's a reality show now, isn't it? So you want to be a henchman? Well, it's just like it's like Strumberg friends with Drax or something. Like how is this Jaws? Uh, we'll get to it. Um, it was on the cover of Henchman Digest. Yeah. had piano recitals together. <laughs> that face of Jaws on the cover of Henchman. He was Mr. May, <laughs> Henchman of the Year. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so we were introduced to Char slash Chang, afternoon tea, and DeFore takes Bond to Dr. Goodhead, um, a woman. Um, <laughs> Dr. Goodhead, can we just stop? No, it's Dr. Goodhead. Obviously, it is one of the most blatant innuendos, but I I still think it sounds sci-fi. Like that sounds like a name that would be in a bad '60s sci-fi movie. Am I the only one who thinks that? I think you're the only one who can think logically. The person's name is Doctor Goodhead. Like, where's the line named after your mother? Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, I, my biggest. I'm gonna jump. We're, we're going all over the place here because of Goodhead. But so does your mother. <laughs> when when she does introduce herself to Bond and uh, and he's like you know oh, oh I'm Doctor Goodhead he's like a woman like he's all surprised like was he hoping to meet a man <laughs> named Goodhead like, where's the surprise coming well, from we get to that in Skyfall but this is the thing that I think in all seriousness when I say more looks bored like there's no like there's the perfect opportunity for some cheesy like a woman that's his comeback like well more didn't write the freaking script. <laughs> Don't know them, but like. Oh, uh, how bad was it when Connery wrote that scene in Thunderball? <laughs> but like, 
there's got to be a play on it. Like, this is the thing. Like, Pussy Galore, like, it's, it's, you know what the purpose of that name is. And Connery plays it up. The script plays up to it that if you want to put to it there, you know. And then we have Plenty O'Toole named after your mother. Like, there's always these things. Like, Goodhead is probably the most <laughs> ridiculous name. Like, next thing we're going to have is, like, Mr. Tight vagina, like this, like there's not even. A, like. I think it works that he doesn't make an over the top thing because it is such a blatant name. It's an Austin Powers name. It's like a Von Hump a lot, or like you know a lot of vagina. There's no, there's nothing there to hide it. Like it, it, I think it's it should be like pronounced in French or something. Like oh, my name good is hair? Good Hair. The D is silent, but it's spelled Good Head. I think it's worse when you say Good Hair. <laughs> it's creepy. <laughs> oh. uh, we learn that she is a fully trained astronaut on on loan from NASA. You know how she got fully trained because she's good at head. Like come on, <sighs> <laughs> I can't give this up. It's terrible. And we have. A really ridiculous scene, but uh, we get Bond on the motorized traction machine. I mean, the centrifuge gravity machine. Um, I don't think it's as bad as Thunderbolt. They do it better here, but it still looks ridiculous when they speed it up, like, so far. And, like, does Chang, like, he just tells the guy to leave, and Bond gets on this machine and then presses the button, and then it doesn't work, and it's just... It seems like a scene that doesn't need to be here. It's just, it gets silly. Chang looks so stupid at the controls. Like, would Hollywoodhead really just leave um, when, like, this guy is, who doesn't even work there is on this big machine? Um, and I think Holly's quite funny when um, she talks about a 70-year-old <laughs> and Bob says, the, tr- <laughs> the trouble is there's never a 70-year-old around when you need yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> But like classic more, um, and he uses his watch stars. Like everything happens so early in this film, they need to save room for space because, like normally, this is something that would happen at the end using the gadget that he gets at the beginning. Um, so there's that little scene. Um, and Doctor Goodhead, you said she's one of the worst. I will defend her. I think she's a terrible actress, but I like the character. She, it's another Bond equal. I like the idea of a NASA kind of trained and. She knows how to use CIA's stuff or CSIS stuff. Um, and there isn't much chemistry, but I think the idea of the character is still fun. And I think she's got her moments, but she is a terrible actress. Um, but to say she's the worst bongo, I disagree with that. But, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. The ID's great, but there's no... She doesn't use the IDs. Like, she's got these gadgets... There's nothing there. And, like, you put, fast forward to the fight against George. She's laying there like a damsel in distress. Ah, ah, ah. She's Well, Anya was kind of like that too when George showed Can, can I just point out, and Colin is going to fly over to Hobart and give me a cuddle right now. Rosie Carver is a better Bond girl than fucking Holly Goodhead. Yes. Holly yes. Goodhead is shit. And I just... She's not that Besides bad. her name, like, you wouldn't remember her. Like, there's just nothing there. Um, this scene is hilarious. It's up there with the wobbly thing in Thunderbolt. Like, but the, the difference is here. I've written here, Bond is a pussy because he's like chickening out for pressing the red button, which, and they said he should pass out at 7G. What did he get up to about 
10... <laughs> 20. <laughs> well, 20 is meant to be fatal. Um, I love the whole like little flash that we get to him and the wrist. Like, oh, that's what I did with my wrist. Like, you had to... Rem- oh, like flashback. You had to remember. <laughs> like, I thought he was dying and his life was flashing before his eyes there. Yeah, it was very creative of Lewis Gilbert to use flashback, wasn't The it? thing that's hilarious, and you mentioned it, like, with Chang, like, he just he just rocks up, whispers sweet nothings to the guy at the controls. Like, oh, yes, fair enough. Whispers. Drax. He's your champagne. <laughs> Drax has... What? <laughs> no, he whispers in his ears. Holly's going to go give some good head. Oh, right. Off, off she pops. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then he's... At, Holly, good head. Then, Over there. Then at the controls and the spinning, and then when it all stops, I fucking love it when, like, Holly comes in. Oh, I don't know what happened. They must have malfunctioned. And then, like, wobbly drunk Bond is trying to get his feet, and he just shoots, like, Chang evil eyes. Like, where's revenge, Bond? Like, come on, Bond. This guy's just trying to kill you. Pull out your gun or something. Like, don't just go, oh, you prick. And then at the end of all this, Drax is trying to bring harm to Bond. Chang's just nearly killed him. They've had this little moment, and he's still allowed to stay the night in his mansion. Like, what is going on here? Like, you try and kill the guy. Oh, well, you didn't die. Please stay the night in the spare room. <laughs> well, I think it's another attempt to kill him. But, uh, to make sure he doesn't leave. That's nah. It's, yeah. It's. No. But, okay, I want to go back to the whole thing with Chang because I wrote in my note, first of all, Chang is not very good at aiming for people's ears because I actually wrote in my note, Chang whispers into the back of the man's head. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even get anywhere near his ear. And I, I love the idea of, like, what is he actually saying to him at this moment? Like, is this a guy who's in on Drax's plan or, you know, do these two have something going on the side? He's like, hey, lover, let me take control for a while. <laughs> I want to know more about Chang and the mystery man. Underdeveloped. His name also was Chang Goodhead. Well, that was Cha. There's Cha and Chang, so now we've named the other guy. Yeah, it's actually twins, and uh, there's two characters. They can only communicate each other by speaking into the back of each other's heads. They don't have ears in the real spot. Uh -uh. Um, (laughs) Uh-uh. I uh, I actually really like this scene. Like, you guys may think it looks kind of stupid. I think that it's a really fun scene. Um, I think that, you know, the idea that he's taking that many G-forces, it's, it's one of the few moments in the movie where you actually feel like Bond's in some type of jeopardy. I don't know why there's the flashback to the dart. Like, because he uses this thing so many times throughout the movie, and there's never a need to remind the audience. We were introduced to this thing five minutes earlier. Like, this is not the time for a flashback. Maybe at the end of the movie when he uses it. When everybody comes in and they're like, I don't know how this happened. Like, why is their first instinct not look up at the control (laughs) room and see the giant guy in a kimono at the controls? He's not supposed to be there. (laughs) That would be the dead giveaway as to how this happened. I just uh, think we missed missed a good line there, like, well, you took that really hard. Oh, yes, I am, or something like that. (laughs) We missed something there. It's an all right scene. It just goes on a bit too long. Um, After that, as Ben already mentioned, he gets to stay the night. Um, And he finally, well, not finally, very quickly gets it with Corinne after he's just met someone called Holly Goodhead. I don't know what he's thinking. He was um, thinking of something, and the only woman available was Corinne. Yeah, Yeah, his only options were Corinne or Chang, so... um, (laughs) Or Cavendish. Well, he nearly went to Chang. He was disappointed, remember, that Holly well, was a man. Cavendish, when he's off off duty, well, he can get one. Takes out the know. false teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Cavendish good. 
Um, um, sorry for that image, must- listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need a slurping sound effect. <laughs> that was oh my goodness! <laughs> that was cucumber sandwich. I was clearing my throat. <laughs> the hit and um, G buttons are sticky again. <laughs> we have a much shorter bond stealing information from a safe compared to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and I like the cute little 007 written on his little camera. Um, did his mum engrave that in for him? Um, <laughs> Don't ever lose this camera, Jane. <laughs> Yeah, and we have that nighttime scene, which is fun. Um, next day, we have Bond, uh, the, the golf scene once again. We have Bond and Drax uh, shooting pigeons and walking and talking. And one of my favourite scenes of the movie is, um, you missed, did I? And the guy falling out of the tree, which, <laughs> risky move for Bond to just murder someone in broad daylight <laughs> when he's the guest on behalf of the British government. That was uh, my cleaner! And- yeah, and then that was char. Like, they didn't really care about him after that. He's just, all right. Like, it's bizarre. Like, that would not happen. But it's still cool, one of Bond's coolest deaths, I think, that he's supposed to be shooting pigeons and gets the guy in the tree, which I think's fun. Um, and then Chang returns um, <laughs> with the dogs, which we missed a classic line there. We'll be back. We'll be back with the dogs. We'll be back with our dogs. Well, they said yeah, they would the same be. Dog. Well, we mentioned Chang was in Doctor No. I think when Crab Key blew up, he the first place he went to was the kennel and escaped with the dogs. So. <laughs> There's a good plot hole. These are the puppies of the dogs from Doctor No grown up. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Quarrel Junior. We've got the dog juniors from uh, Doctor No. Doggle so. Junior. Yeah, we we really need someone to edit in. We'll be back. We'll be back with the dogs uh, there. <laughs> and then I don't know if this was Lewis Gilbert's decision or something, but this film turns into a horror movie <laughs> for like a good minute. There's music and like really dark filming and shadows and her running away from the dogs. It just it was like this goofy film like five minutes ago and suddenly it's a horror movie. It was like really getting into it and Corinne eaten by the dogs. Like, <laughs> like it, it goes on and on and on, the music and everything. <laughs> Mary screams. Uh, so that's kind of puts an end to this Californian scene, but it's really bizarre that it just turns into a horror movie. And I love that we've got dogs back in uh, James Bond. We miss the dogs. But, yeah, that's kind of the end of the California scene there with Corinne's death. Oh, God, so much to talk about. I love the night bit, the whole safe, when, you know, he's going through the drawers and off come, in comes Corinne, like, oh, what are you doing? And then he's like, where's the safe? Oh, it's over there. And then he goes to break into it. She's like, James, no! Like, you just told him where the safe... What do you think he was going to do with the safe? I thought you were just going to feel it. I thought you were just going to observe the great safe that Drax owns, not break into it. Um, where's the On Her Majesty's Secret Service, like, giant safe cracker that has to be lifted in fire and He's upgrade. Um, and you could tell, like, if this was in 2015, he'd be taking selfies with the plans. Like, hey, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> um, Post it all over Instagram. Yes. Lol, just broke into Drax's safe. <laughs> Lol, Drax said I missed, but I didn't. Hashtag safe Hashtag cracker. Out of the <laughs> um, so... 
then we get this kind of like little farewell scene with um with Bond and Corinne, and it's kind of like oh, there's like this chemistry in this whole scene there that just shits all over uh, Bond and Goodhead later on in the film. And then we get Chang. I love how Chang's just watching again. Like oh, but let's let him go back to sleep. Bond's quite tired. Like couldn't you just try and kill him again? Like right there. Like why? Um, I love the idea that Chang's only method of killing is the big uh, spinny traction machine thing so he like takes him in his sleep and puts him back into the thing and does it again he doesn't know any other way to kill other than putting him in that um we see the yeah the the bird thing uh interesting stat the only time james bond uses a gun in the film is when he shoots the guy in the tree doesn't use a gun at all and the walter people is not in the movie at all Interesting stat is when Bond missed the pigeon, it took a double take when it saw the guy <laughs> fall out the tree. <laughs> That's the shot. That the, yeah, I, I see what you did there. Good job. Uh, and this, again, just is the whole point, like I was saying, like he shoots this guy in the tree. Clearly, Drax has got him there to kill Bond. And then as she was saying, like, we don't care about poor old Jimmy or whatever his name was in the tree. But, like, the way Drax kind of just turns to him, like, why wouldn't... Bert Cavendish. Why wouldn't Drax then be like, oh... Okay, let's try and kill. Why does he let him go? Like he just lets him go at that point. You just try to just kill him. Just turn the gun on him. You just try to kill him. him. In the face. Exactly. Like oh, it's terrible. Um, I do love the line though. Like it's a great line. The you missed, did I? Like that's fantastic. And then you say with the whole horror scene. My biggest gripe with this scene: she rocks up on a golf buggy. She starts to walk off past the golf buggy and then <laughs> runs into the. <laughs> Get on the golf buggy. You are safe. Well, there was someone on there, and he was uh, Arnold Palmer. <laughs> but yeah, he's taking really up all the space on the golf like, buggy. Don't run up the stairs. What are you doing going up the stairs? Yes, like I just love the idea that uh, the, the dogs jump onto the golf buggy and chase the after. They might as well. This film is that whack. It's, it's I think at to this point, probably the strangest death sequence in the history of the bot might be in all of them. But yeah, as you said, a horror. She's running through the thing, and to me, it reminded <laughs> me. Of, it reminded me of the thriller film clip. We just needed like a. a Michael Jackson werewolf chopping down trees at the this point. Um, I I first have to start with the 007 camera. <laughs> it is kind of like what you said, Ben, about like just having his name on it. Because I wrote in my notes here, like, did they keep mixing each other's up? You know, <laughs> one day it's like, oh no, this is 002's camera. Like, we just got to get Bill our names Fairbanks, on these things, you. <laughs> It's like, Q, put our names on these, and while you're at it, can you please put our names inside of our underwear, because we keep mixing that up, too. <laughs> There's just so much disorganization in MI6. Well, um, it's because he's but, always in the office and not doing his job. Yeah, exactly. Hanging if around Q him. Just, if Q would just stay in his workshop where he's supposed to be, these guys wouldn't need their names printed on everything. They, That's they why we don't have a print. cool car in this film. <laughs> Uh, well, he gets a cool gondola. I mean, that's something, right? <laughs> it does kind of fly a space well, shuttle. So. Cool is <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure Bond was like, oh, you know, I'd really love to have that Lotus. Uh, all I got stuck with was the space shuttle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you guys took all of my material on the, the whole shooting scene, which is like <laughs> the best scene in the whole movie roger moore plays it so well you know just did i like the way that even it's edited is just so great i always love that part but i i always thought of it the same way too and it's not even a thing about oh well if you think about it it's kind of funny when the guy drops out of the tree i'm genuinely thinking to myself I'm like 
What if that was the gardener? Like, Cavendish. <laughs> <laughs> was like, "Geez, man, that was Charles. I just sent him up there to trim the branches. What are you doing, man?" <laughs> There's so much more that we could be seeing out of Drax in this movie. Oh, um, <laughs> the horror scene again. Like, we're, it's funny because I remember when we finished the Spy Who Loved Me, saying that you know we all seem to have a slightly different opinion on Moonraker. But we'll probably agree on everything, and that's exactly what we're running into because it's just this sadistic death scene. And you know, John Barry, like total credit to the music, but it feels so out of place. You know, we have this joke: the last person to die in this movie was played off as a joke. You know, completely like the funniest joke in the movie, and now we have this thing that that's you know straight out of the Howling. I mean, it's like just short of them turning into werewolves and us seeing them rip her face off with their teeth. I mean, this is... Lewis Gilbert went to a really dark place on the day of filming. That's the only explanation I have for that scene. Well, we always talk about how the films keep up with the trends, like the black exploitation in the film. So this was kind of the horror movie era, just like the idea that Drax's head turns around like 360, <laughs> like The Exorcist or something Vomits like that. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been good. Um, the power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. It's just, yeah, it's one of the most unique and bizarre scenes in the entire series, I think. And I was cracking up through the entire thing because of how <laughs> bizarre it is. That's horrible, isn't it? Oh, Noah, I was, I was just cracking up laughing at this poor woman chasing It just goes full tilt horror movie, everything about it. Her limbs got ripped off by the dogs and I was laughing. It's like it's like Colin and his Burning Man obsession. People burning, yes. So so uh, Colin likes burning people. Noah likes people getting ripped to shreds by dogs. And Ben can't stand the sound of biting metal. <laughs> yeah, well, and I thought you would have established that uh, this film is fiction. Uh, he does go to space. No, I thought this happened. Well, that laser actually, space battle. I mean, God, that's talked about all the times in history. Well, we joke, but in the special features, uh, there is a interview with Cubby Broccoli, and he says Bond doesn't do science fact fiction. We do science fact. <laughs> I'm yes, like, good job. Really? NASA really has laser beams that they use on each other in space. And can get into space on the like last-minute call in 30 seconds. There's no preparation for a space shuttle launch at all. It's just like getting in a car and driving. Yeah, if you want to demonstrate science fact, I'm not sure if this is the film to do so, but... Um... <laughs> Anyway, moving on from California and Bond in Venice, as we already mentioned, uh, investigating, and he goes into Venny Glass, I think it's called, um, and we're really picking apart the film here now. But it's she speaks Raider, English. Come on, like <laughs> she speaks English. Like he doesn't even say anything to her first. I don't think she just knows that he's English. Like, mm. well, everyone knows who James Bond is, so. <laughs> And a chance he's encounter. He's got 007 on him on everything in, in his possession. <laughs> he's got 007 yeah. written on his suit. He's wearing <laughs> he, a name badge. Chance, chance encounter with Goodhead. She's in Venice too. Um, <laughs> and we have a very short-lived Bond ally, Franco, uh, on the gondola. Um, he's investigating there and <laughs> he gets on the gondola and, as we already mentioned a boat with a coffin on top of it drives past and the coffin opens and it's a bad guy. <laughs> um, kills Franco and then Bond kills him. 
Then the gondola turns out, and we're missing the kid from um, yes. Man with the Golden Gun. Where Make it go he? faster. <laughs> 50,000 baht! Because uh, the gondola just goes into super speed. It's just down the streets of all the canals of Venice. Um, crazy fast. And being chased by the boat. It's not a bad chase, but why couldn't a Bond just been on a boat rather than a super fast gondola? <laughs> And I've written the timestamp here, 40 minutes and 30 seconds. This is where the film goes downhill. Everything up to here was goofy, but nothing like this. The gondola, super-fast gondola, turns into a car, drives onto the roads of Venice while orchestra music is playing, while a whole crowd watches Bond in a driving gondola drive past while the man who was in Italy for the... The Lotus is drinking alcohol is there. A waiter is pouring water onto a guy. And a pigeon <laughs> does a double take at what is happening because I'm with the pigeon. This is whack. Um, you forgot you forgot how it ends, where the gondola suddenly turns invisible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, all while this great orchestra music is playing, um, the pigeon just can't believe its eyes, uh, what it's seeing here. Um, And he continues on his way, and no one calls the authorities, and no one views this as anything too crazy, because he continues to stay in Venice. Uh, He doesn't get deported or anything having a super fast car gondola and the pigeon while it only lived for one more year after the making of this film never saw anything quite as crazy as that um (laughs) i haven't actually talked about this scene but i think my tone and expressions pretty much sums up my thoughts on this scene can i just point out that at this point we're still watching a james bond movie like this I'm lost for words that this is just ridiculous. Like, Noah started off perfectly by saying a chance meeting with good head. Well, I wish all our meetings went that way. But, like, it's, like, I'm just going to skip over everything until we get to the... Is, is, it, is it a hovercraft or is it a car? I thought it was a hovercraft. I think it's, it turns into a hovercraft, like, yeah. Oh, same difference. It's a freaking gondola. <laughs> I don't think we need to debate the science but, fact of this gondola. But look, I just want to point out again in my long-winded defence of Die Another Day, it's going to take us 20 episodes. Like, people bag out the invisible car. It's at least explained in a Q scene or an R scene. This just comes out of nowhere. Like, as I said, he's chilling in Venice. He gets dead coffin guy coming after him. Again, he's a bad habit of hanging around funerals with people trying to kill him. That was Morton Simon. <laughs> and then he's just, you know, got super speed gondola that just happens to have hovercraft. Like, who thinks of this? Like, when? In 19... Was a hovercraft new in the 70s? <laughs> we get the music. There we go. Like, and the... This, this scene is just summed up by a freaking pigeon, like, giving a double <laughs> Why? Why is and there a pigeon? 
It's like the worst editing sliced together where it's the same shot, just repeated. I love, I love random alcohol guy again in it. Like, I think that's a hilarious, and he comes back like it's a kind of a running joke. Well, it makes sense because they're both in Italy as well. So it's not like it's completely out of the realms of possibility. Because, you know, like, there are things that, like, are fantastic, but you have fucking James Bond on a hovercraft gondola driving through the streets of Venice just like fucking like oh I can't I can't fathom how this made it into a Bond film this should be an Austin Powers film or something like that like this movie is just ridiculous this is my favorite part of the whole movie up until this And I don't think the boat chase works at all as an action sequence, but the second it turns into a hovercraft, I'm totally on board. <laughs> like, I love this. The, the, the pigeon double take, like, this is completely absurd, but somehow this is the one point in the movie, movie where the humor really works. And I think that Roger Moore is bored because he doesn't have anybody to play off of. And if they had just... Had the pigeon on his shoulder the whole movie. This this would be a top ten instantly. What's that pigeon? Psychic. That's that's the new Pete, quarrel. Pete the pigeon. Karen Bay and quarrel. We got pigeon. Oh, I don't know, Pete. Let's take a left up here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Anything else to add, Colin? Uh, um, no, I think it pretty much speaks for itself, doesn't it? I love the Although way Colin played the music. That music. You, have to, you have to love the Double Take Pigeon just because it is <laughs> the it, most mental thing we'll ever see in a James you Bond film. And I have to say again, just just really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you, mentioned the, you mentioned the editing, Noah. Like, it's just the, the fact that you see this pigeon turn its head and they clearly rewind the footage backwards <laughs> to play it again. Like, it's not even a seamless cut there. Like, they're just like... Well, I have to wonder, were they looking through the footage when they put that in there? Like, we got a shot of a pigeon. We can do a pigeon double take. Or was Lewis Gilbert one day, it's like... I know we're three weeks behind on schedule, but you guys are going to point that camera, that pigeon, until it does a double take. And eventually they're like, we give up. We'll fix it in editing. Uh, I think we're all missing Peter Hunt at this point. Um, Well, I actually think it's been firmly established that John Glenn is responsible for the pigeon double take, which... One and of they his gave men. him the next movie to direct. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that pigeon well, you scene. did so well at that uh, pigeon double take. Do you want to take for your eyes only? <laughs> it must yeah. include at least three pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> One of his many great contributions to the James Bond. We need a pigeon count, starting from Moonraker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the pigeon double take just because of how crazy it is. <laughs> but yeah, that scene is... like. And the thing is, you could take that scene out of the movie, and nothing changes at all. There is no plot. It's like Ben said. I mean, it's like Ben said in the beginning, this is You Only Live Twice. There are henchmen chasing Bond, and when they do chase Bond, there's no explanation, there's no reason. They're just there, and then it ends, and it's like it never happened. So that's where the movie really doesn't work, is that these action scenes are all built around henchmen that we don't care about, and we have no explanation for why they're there. I'm going to say I like the scene only in an ironic way. Like, we've been laughing at it. It's just hilarious because it is mental. And five minutes ago, we were watching a horror movie where a dog attacked a woman. <laughs> um, yeah, let's move on. 
probably the craziest thing we'll see in this film, and they go to space. Spoiler alert. Um, so later that night, Bond is sneaking around, and look, Samurai Ninja Guy, uh, aka Chang, is here. He's travelled to Venice as well. I don't know if he came with Goodhead or Cavendish or what, but he's here. And we have a massive fight, which I think it's a cool fight. I think I read somewhere that's like the most fake glass used in any mm-hmm, film yeah, ever, yeah. which is pretty awesome, I guess. I always like glass smashing. Uh, it's fun. It's, it's a good fight, even though Chang slash Cha sucks. Um, and why is he in Venice? And here he is. Um, why didn't he kill him in California? But anyway... And the the good fight is kind of ruined when he gets chucked through the clock, which is cool. But then the next shot, legs dangling out of a piano from an orchestra, which I like to pretend is the same orchestra from the scene two minutes ago playing. But it just looks like something from a kid's movie with his legs sticking out like that. I was surprised he wasn't wearing white. Boxer shorts with hearts on it, or something stupid <laughs> like that. Um, we could have like the cuckoo clock sound with the things swirling around. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> just, oh, why did they do that? And then one of Bond's worst ever one-liners in the history of the series. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love how like you're you're saying that this looks like a kids' movie. We just saw him on a gondola on a fucking hovercraft with a pigeon. This annoys me more. Anytime I see him sticking out with the piano, it just really frustrates me because it would be one of the best fights. And if they just chucked him through the clock and then that's the last that we see of him, we just assume he falls to his death. I think it makes for probably the best scene in the film. But then they add this on the end. There are so many times in this film where if they just did small tweaks, it would make it so much better. Um, But we'll just quickly get to the end of this scene as well. Bond, back with good head, um, learns that she with the CIA. Um, <laughs> and then Bond gets good head. There. Bond, back with good head. He's been Bond having bad head all film until this point. <laughs> yeah, well, he gets good head with good head. Um, finally, well, not finally, quite early in the film once again. And let's cap it there because then we go the next day with Drax back. But this scene is cool, but play it again, Sam. You missed the whole uh, scene where he, of course, discovers the vials and oh, yeah, right. and the accidentally kills two scientists in the in the process, <laughs> and the whole hat scene Whoops. when he's wearing his lovely little um, Venice style hat and he throws it onto the boat. I like that. That was kind of cool. I think he needs to hand in his license to kill because <laughs> he's just. Oh, whoops! They're dead. Um, yeah, so he 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 get and he discovers obviously this like gas stuff that we obviously will come into play later on. But I the whole fight like I actually kind of don't mind it. Like I don't think the whole play it again Sam line is that bad. <laughs> it's not as bad as he's got a lot of guts. Um, but I I I think what's interesting about a few scenes that we've had here particularly this fight, and then I didn't mention it before, when he was going through Venice, um, there was a real, there was a moment there where it was a real sort of Casino Royale, I think was probably heavily influenced from that bit because it looked very similar to the whole chasing sequence in Casino Royale. But Casino Royale was heavily influenced by Moonraker. As in the new yeah, you're Casino me they, Royale. They finished Die Another Day. They're like, we know we went too far again. <laughs> Got to bring it back to the basics. 
Let's start by copying that scene in Moonraker. Yes, let's play it again, Vesper. Um, and also, <laughs> but this whole fight sequence in the clock, like, I got real Skyfall vibes from it with, like, the colours and the, the night and I don't know. I'd... You knew the 21st century James Bond films were so heavily influenced by Moonraker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you said about it's the, the whole fight scene in that little museum. Yeah, apparently the world record for largest amount of breakaway sugar glass used in a single scene, which is quite fascinating. And hey, hey, Here's my reference point. I was talking about this in the group last night. If you've actually seen the Die Another Day film clip, um, in which Never seen Madonna it. sort of has a fight with herself, it's all kind of shot in a in a room basically exactly the same as this one in Moonraker with all the glass cabinets and that, but it's sort of replaced by all the little artifacts by actual throwbacks to Bond films. I do love the sequence when they're fighting, though, and they've got that really rare... Um, you know, million dollar thing, which, you know, she joked about before in the museum bit, and then Bond's about to throw it, and he's like, oh no, I better not, it's worth a lot of money, and then Jack just like, smash! I think that's good. Um, good head. <laughs> but, yeah, the whole Bond hooking up with good heads, we're so children, like, we can't stop laughing at her name, well, I can't. You <laughs> Her name is Goodhead, people! We're trying to be consummate professionals here, and Ben's having a giggle fit at Goodhead's name. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, Jade's Bond if he's got, like, a little notebook keeping track of his conquest, and he's, like, written, okay, Pushy Galore, Holly Goodhead, and somebody gets the book and, like, James, what was her name? You've just said that she's got a lot of pussy and that she was good at head. Like, no, no, that was their names. <laughs> like, come on. Um, but... Yeah, I've got really nothing to add on the whole hookup because we. I mean, he discovers that she's a CIA agent. Fantastic, let's have sex. And I'm just like, yawn. Come on, these two are just. There's nothing there. There's more chemistry between Bond and the pigeon. I'd rather him hook up with the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna start w- with the uh, the f- the good head scene because I want to talk a little bit more about the fight scene. The Goodhead scene, really the only thing to mention here, like you said, there's no chemistry. It's not Moore's fault. I mean, he can only do so much with uh, a woman with the screen presence of... A pigeon. A stuffed pigeon. A stuffed pigeon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the scene itself is basically reused in Tomorrow Never Dies. And Tomorrow Never Dies shows you... If you have somebody who can actually act in a scene, even if she barely, you know, had learned English at that point, the scene can work. So I, I, I do like the idea. I've always liked the idea that there's, you know, these gadgets and he's sort of testing them out and does he know what they do or not. But uh, other than that, Goodhead's presence in this movie doesn't even need to be there. We talked about how a lot of these scenes can just be taken out with the action scenes. She's just there. It's always like, maybe we can work together. And then they sleep together and then they're gone and they're separated and they're surprised when they run into each other 20 minutes later in the movie. So... <laughs> Uh, Goodhead could have been completely cut from this movie and just introduced in the last act. The fight scene, I don't even care about the leg sticking on the piano and the play it again, Sam. I mean, it's it's a bad end to it, but we weren't faulting the skiing sequences in On a Magic Secret Service because he said he had a lot of guts at the end. This fight scene is one of the best fight scenes in any Bond movie. And it's, again, a lot where we talked about how you if you can't have two really good stuntmen fighting each other, Roger Moore is what fifty-one years old at this point, point. Uh, and it shows. Use the environment. Yeah, it does show. 
but use the environment. I think if you put this up against Spy Love Me, it's not going to look much different at all. I disagree. Well, he does look a little bit older. I think a little bit. Yeah, but it's more so physicality is not there as it was in Spy Love Me. You know, we saw him swinging from Louis Gilbert's invisible camera, (laughs) and you know, here in the fight scenes, they're clearly just using the environment more than they're using Roger Moore. But it totally works. I mean, it's such a great idea for a fight scene. You got all this smashing glass. And we said, why is Chang there? I mean, Chang was there so they could do this one scene. And for that, it's worth it to have him with him and his awkward bowl cut and kimono. I mean, I'm happy just because we get this great scene. (laughs) Rest in peace, Chang. Rest in peace, Cha. Um, (laughs) I'm going to Up there with Hans and Vargas. (laughs) And Sean Campbell. They're all in... uh, (laughs) <laughs> They're the all in some golden type turd of, of fame. <laughs> golden, <laughs> golden turd of fame. But I will. I might have an argument for this when we get to the Hall of Fame later on. We'll have to see how the rest of this movie. Oh fuck! I forgot we're actually going to choose scenes for this to put in the Hall. Oh god! I forgot too until we started talking about this scene. I'm like, this would be a good one. No, that gondola is not going in the Hall of Fame. I quit. Did we did we talk about the, the I know you briefly mentioned the whole gassing uh, the scientist by accident. <laughs> uh, here's okay. something interesting about that. Goodhead is proof that don't laugh. Man. Uh, <laughs> I was gone. You say Goodhead is proof of what? You can have a good orgasm. Like <laughs> Goodhead is proof that. In Drax's organization, not everybody knows about them destroying the world. And yeah, these guys are working on the gas, but how do they know what it is? The fact that these two men die by Bond basically being clumsy, and the look on his face is sort of like, huh, didn't see that coming, he just gets up and walks away. Like We talked about how Bond was like you know, cold-hearted killer back in Doctor No. This is the most sadistic and heartless thing Bond's ever done. How is this just glossed over in the movie? We want to talk about absurdity. He just gassed two men to death and doesn't even seem to care about it. Again, you reminded me of my arch nemesis, Professor Dr. Metz. Oh, oh again, <laughs> just proves that Drax is Hitler with a whole gassing scenario. Like, Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of Drax, uh, we have the next day and we have Bond meeting up with him and uh, Frederick Gray, I think his name is. Um, and... They've overnight done a lot of work because they've got rid of the laboratory and they've just got this other room now. So I think Ken Adam maybe helped them out with the changing of sets there. And Bond kind of gets in trouble when Frederick Gray has never been more embarrassed in his life. Uh, and we have Drax just there in a random scene because he's in Venice too, apparently. Um, everyone's here. And Bond has to take two weeks' leave of absence to head to Rio. I got um, Rio. Disney yeah. And then um, we have that scene that we've mentioned many a time of Drax ringing up. We don't know who he's calling, but he's calling for a Chang replacement. And no, he doesn't get Hans. He doesn't get Vargas. They were busy. Um, Being dead. Yeah, and they don't actually say who it is, but I think we all know. But it's just, I think we've already glossed over this. But, like, who is he calling, like... The recruitment agency, Jaws' mom, uh, <laughs> Strongberg's estate. Like, it's just, 
I love that Jaws is just like a henchman for hire. It's hilarious, but not too much to add to here, but let's just cap it before we get to Rio. I love Mrs. Jaws. Mrs. Jaws, can Jaws come out to play? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think you summed it up well, and we sort of joked about before about where they get it from. I do love the whole airport scene, though, when he goes through the scanner and he just smiles and the security guard's like, oh, fuck, off you go. Like, best security ever. I really well, hope... I love that Jaws just takes a commercial airline. Yeah. And, like, doesn't even have a private plane or anything. I really hope, like, this is a training film for, like, the, the security in, like, US airports in 2015. Like, do not let this happen. If a guy has metal mouth, you don't just let him through. Um... But yeah, no, I think we mentioned it at the beginning. Like, this would have been a perfect opportunity to just be like, oh, Jaws is back. Duh, 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 shit's about to get real. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, yeah, they have some great interior decorators to uh, <laughs> have that <laughs> probably 12 hours. Uh, it's starting to get sad at this point that we know this is one of the last times we'll see M, and it's one of the first times we've really mm. seen him kind of on the job with Bond, and I didn't know that this was his last movie when I originally saw it, but it when you rewatch it now, it really does feel like they were going somewhere different with him, and I don't know if they knew this was going to be his final movie or not, I can't remember if I ever heard that, but it feels like, like this is what they ended up doing with M when Judy Dench was on, it was like get him a little bit more involved, and it's just it's it's so it's so unfortunate that we didn't get to see this in one or two more movies where he's out on the field with Bond a little bit. Um, I like that we we get back to again where you know the minister saying you know oh well you know this is ridiculous and M's again sticking up for Bond. It's like if Bond says that he saw it, then it must be true, um, which is all the way back in Thunderball yeah, we saw M, M stands up for Bond. M always has Bond's back. Uh, yeah, the, the, the replacement thing for Chang is funny for me because it is kind of like he's just calling the staffing agency, you know? <laughs> uh, now I'm now I'm kind of viewing this scene like, you know, where he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. The last guy you sent me, uh, Chang, you know, it just didn't work out with him. He's dead. So you have he some best, like, well, they're, they're like, Chang, uh, we have you down that you had a shot. It's like, I called the wrong family. Oh no! I called Chang's family, not Cha. You really got to stop importing these henchmen because they're no good as the homegrown ones. Oh, uh, um. <laughs> yeah, like I never really, I never really even noticed the whole thing that like Jaws was just recruited halfway through the movie because, again, for whatever reason, I always sort of saw this movie and assumed that he was working for Drax the whole time. Yeah, but... Who was he working for in the African job? Yeah, yeah like, it, maybe that's the Casino Royale thing. It's it's going all the way back to the <laughs> uh, beginning of... We're finding a lot of ties here from Casino Royale and Moonraker. <laughs> if you really watch the two movies back to back, they're not that dissimilar. So I guess Casino Royale did it better. Um... <laughs> Casino Royale was a slight improvement over Moonraker. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of the the shifting point of the movie. I mean, it's, Lewis Gilbert's not as bad at this as Guy Hamilton is, but I have a lot of notes that I took throughout this movie where I said Lewis Gilbert was acting like Guy Hamilton making this movie. And this is kind of one of the areas where the movie just suddenly becomes about something else and everything from the first half is dropped. You know, you got a new henchman. Uh, Drax is suddenly a more sinister villain. And uh, it's... 
the movie, I think the movie actually does get better. That's the one thing I'll say. That this bland section in the middle here is kind of the shifting point, and I start to enjoy it more from this point on. I just love they felt the need to explain Jaws coming back when they don't explain a whole lot of other stuff in this film at all. But they felt, oh, that really needs to be in the story. <laughs> People um, wouldn't understand. Mildred wouldn't understand. Why is yeah. Jaws there again? Yeah. Um, we'll touch on Jaws. Uh, he's in it a lot now, but I've got a lot to say about that. Um, so Bond's plane touches down in Rio, which I think is a great location. Brazil, mm-hmm. there's, they use the city really well. They use the mountains, the, the jungle, the Amazon. I think one of the best locations we've seen up to this point. I think it's made great use of it. And we meet Manuela. Um, is that how you say it, Manuela? I think so. Mm-hmm. And making a martini, it's back. And she works for Station VH. Yes. Any ideas? Vagina headquarters. Uh, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> based on this film. Well, it's not subtle, so it's up there with good head. <laughs> yeah, that really is a subtle one, if that's what it stands <laughs> for. VH stands for a very good head. <laughs> <laughs> Venezuela. Uh, what does it stand for? VH. Vector Halo. Yeah, that's weird. Um, Bond gets with Manuela. That was quick. Um, and they go to the parade in Rio, which they love to do parades in Bond. Carnavali. Yeah, and they're heading to the importer warehouse. Bond jumps in and starts investigating while Manuela waits in the alleyway and the parade is slowly coming um and i really love this it's so sinister we're back to the horror film this like parade just staring at her from the distance in the corner of her eye like this big carnivale thing and it's just slowly slowly getting closer to her i think it's really scary i've always thought when i was a kid that was a scary moment but that's all lost when it takes the head off and it's goofy old jaws <laughs> goofing around. Um, but it just works so well. It's like a scary moment with this parade, just slowly, this figure, slowly in the night while she's in this alleyway. She's in a public place, but it's like it's really about to get bad. But it gets ruined when Jaws comes, he starts being sinister, and then the party comes past and grabs Jaws. <laughs> And originally, he's reluctant, but then he starts joining the party and having a good time as well. Um, so, one what could have been one of the scariest and best scenes becomes Jaws having a party with some Brazilians. Um, and Bond finds the Drax air freight symbol, and that comes the end of the carnival scenes with Jaws dancing. All I just can't take this movie seriously, just. Jaws fucking dancing with Manuela like when he's trying to kill her. And he's like about to fight And then all the people start coming out and he's like lifts her up and starts dancing. That's like Bond making out with himself in Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. Who is your floor? Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, I agree with you. Rio is a fantastic um, location. It's it's obviously a beautiful looking city, and it works very well. And Manuela again just goes to show James Bond security in his hotel rooms. Like he doesn't learn. <laughs> just like let her in. Um, and yeah, the the car- I mean, it's it's it looks really good on camera. The whole Carnivali um, sequence and. 
I mean, it it just it's Bond on the scene in these big, huge set pieces with all these you know thousands of people always works very well. And I do love his line when he's like, "Don't go talking to strange men." And then when he comes out with Jaws, and it's like, "I told you not to speak to strange men." Um, you, you only needed Bond dancing in this scene, like when he's walking through Carnival. If he just like turned to some random woman and started like cracking a few moves, it would just would have been underneath the mango. <laughs> but yeah. Um, everybody's been talking about the location and uh, I'm surprised we didn't even talk uh, that much about Venice because I'm going to go as far as to say that of all the Bond movies up until this point this one shows locations off the best uh, everything from Venice to uh, Rio and then even just the, the Ken Adams space. Like I think <laughs> space exactly like when they went it into Earth orbit to film this. Venice, I think because we went to Italy last um, movie like they should have waited a bit. Well, we go to Italy three films but in a row we go there for your eyes only as well it's different too and I think again just put like I talked all the way back in You Only Live Twice Lewis Gilbert's really good at just showing Bond in these crowded locations and that's what really worked in Venice is that you know the gondola chase is ridiculous, but those people's reactions as they, as you know he's they're doing their own double takes was probably authentic. But in Rio, it's even better. I mean, this is one of the best locations that's ever been filmed for a Bond movie, and uh, I, I love the whole Carnival scene. And with the thing with Jaws approaching, like you said, I mean, it's very very sinister. Uh, I absolutely love it. Even when he takes off the mask, I'm not that worried about it. It is the dancing. That throws it off. Um, <laughs> I just want to like at the end for Jaws. Yeah, at this point on, you can't. You basically had the skydiving scene, and you had that really creepy approach of Jaws, and then after this, is just cartoon character. But one big issue I have is that Jaws is a man who can survive a fall from an airplane thousands of feet up. This is a man who rips doors off of cars. We see him punch his fist through a cable car, like the steel of a cable car, and a couple of drunk Brazilians are too much for him to fight off. Like, he's <laughs> dragged away by these drunken Brazilians, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do now. What am I supposed to do, guys? Like, <laughs> did Jaws just give up? Like, it's just, it, that's the biggest plot hole in this whole movie. I mean, everything this this freak of nature can do, and he can't fight off these drunks. Um, the scene is so good, though, and even with the the really messed up ending i mean again this is one of my favorite parts of the movie and i'm really enjoying the movie from this point on even if it is absurd still uh so we have the next day bond heading up to the lookout we have uh blatant seven up advertising all over i didn't see any but in saying that i wouldn't mind a seven up um bond using the telescope and look more good head um (laughs) over over on the horizon (laughs) looking back at him um so back with good head, up the cable car, <laughs> and Jaws is back. So obviously the party didn't last too long because um, he's back and he located Bond once again. How? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not talk about how in this film at all. Um, one of the best quotes, his name's Jaws. He kills people. I love that <laughs> quote. It's pretty apt description of what Jaws does. So, um, technically, so does James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> So do you. Um, you just killed two scientists. Um, and a really great cable car fight. Um, 
really enjoy everything that happens here until the end. <laughs> where Bond and Holly slide to safety, which is quite cool. Um, they drop down and then Jaws and his friend, Brazilian friend, working the controls, whoever he is, um, uh, Tito. Uh, yeah, he makes Jaws' cable car go really fast. I didn't know you could do that. Um, and Bond and Holly do the sensible thing and drop down. Um, and Jaws then realises, oh, no, the cable car is going to crash. So he makes an hilarious face, which we're talking about Jaws' facial expressions in this film. Um, and it crashes into the main control centre, which begs the question, even if Bond and Holly didn't drop, wouldn't the same thing happen to Jaws' cable car anyway? Um, because it's going a million miles an hour. Uh, I think it's still going to crash. So I don't know what the end game was here. Was this like a suicide mission or something? Um, he knows he could survive anything. The man's falling out of an airplane. He's, he shouldn't even yeah, be Yeah, well, I guess so. He and there were no Brazilian drunk this. people at the end to stop him. So. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> That's his now, one weakness. there was weakness. a Brazilian drunk on there, like, clawing at him, he <laughs> would have really... That's Jaws' kryptonite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm a drunk cable, Brazilian. Uh, cable car crashes. I Jaws. hope Colin has the music queued up for this, ready to go. <laughs> Jaws does not die. And someone helps him out. Enter Dolly. And love at first sight with the music and everything where Jaws falls in love with Dolly. And through the rest of the film, she becomes Jaws, the sinister henchman from the Spy Love Me's girlfriend. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, uh... Yeah, which, fun fact, when I was a kid, I always thought... Um, that Dolly was a little girl. Um, <laughs> well, she is compared to Jaws. <laughs> how innocent I was compared to what this that is... would be like nowadays if that was actually a little girl. <laughs> so this, so this eight eight foot tall giant spots this little girl and suddenly becomes like the pedophile of a Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my justification was oh. there. We go. Yes. I don't know, it's just uh, most pedophilia in James Bond. (laughs) We all pictured at that moment, wasn't it? So stereotypical music used. Um, I'll let you speak about this scene, which starts good, ends horribly, Ben. But um, I just want to bring up something I read on Jaws, the character, and how he changed because. I was reading about this, and apparently Lewis Gilbert, when they brought back Jaws, he got a lot of letters from kids saying, why can't Jaws be a goodie rather than a baddie? And Lewis Gilbert's just, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So if you ever want Lewis Gilbert to do something for you, you just get a freaking kid to write him a letter and he'll do it. Like, I love the idea that, like, five kids wrote a letter to him saying, make Jaws good, though he just did it, like... What was he on? Like this is the and who was the kid that wrote a letter to Lewis Gilbert saying, "Can you make Jaws a pedophile?" And <laughs> I really am turned on by Jaws. Signed, eight-year-old girl. Uh, but it's just mental that he would get a letter from a kid and say, "Oh, good idea." Like from here on out, I don't have a lot of good things to say about it. I hate this love story thing, and I think this is the worst part of the movie, even worse than going to space. Well, I, my biggest question is what parents are letting their kids watch James Bond movies? Like, you know, they had ratings back in the 70s, didn't they? Like, 
Well, I'm pretty sure we all established in our introduction episode we started watching when we were kids. Ah, it's so a different I'm time in the get- 2000s and the 90s. Our parents were worse then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> parenting had gone out the window in the late 80s, Noah. Come on. <laughs> this is still a time, Overrated. time of innocence. Um, I, I actually really enjoy this cable car scene. I think it's great. And yeah, it starts good. One of the, the few highlights of the movie, I think it's it's fantastic. And I want to go to this cable car, not to, like, die, but, like, it looks <laughs> awesome. Like, this whole... Just put a seven up. Yeah, have a seven up on that cable car. It looks fantastic. My question is, like, why does why does Jaws bite the rope or the cable or whatever it is? It doesn't achieve anything. Like, he's already stopped it. You and your metal biting. Well, I, I thought it looked like a rope. Was that metal or was that rope? Because I thought it was rope. Do the Brazilians use metal. rope to hoist up their cable car? <laughs> well, you know, again. You've got, like, ten Brazilians down there. Heave! Heave! <laughs> I don't want to comment on Brazilian labor laws in 1979, but um, but anyway, like I already brought up so um, I Ronaldo pull faster. Um, I don't, I don't get why he bites it because it doesn't achieve anything. Anyway, that's just my question. Again, when you brought up like how do you make a cable car go that fast? Like they're traveling at pretty good speed with like, this. Mid- I think it was the same manufacturer as the gondola. Well, where, where's the sparks coming from? James Bond like going down this giant steel cable with metal. Like surely there'd be sparks flying. Probably more sparks flying between him and Holly. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting ending like bond and that jumping down and like obviously the whole cable car headquarter thing down the bottom isn't that far away from the ground if they can jump off that low to the ground but the whole love sequence like i'm sorry if you thought she was a little girl then she had the biggest boobs of any little girl that i ever saw like fucking I'm hell six. well jesus if six-year-olds had boobs like that i want to go back to primary school i didn't say she was six <laughs> anyway, um, it. Oh my god, the, the, this episode is <laughs> taking a moon rake. <laughs> this episode is the moon rake group double on seven. Um, <laughs> How appropriate. But the one question I have is the meeting. It's like they meet, it's love at first sight. Then, yeah, they hold hands and run away together. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Like, we thought Bond's influence over women was strong. Like, Somebody call the cops. Like, this chick has taken one look at him. They're holding hands and going off for a quickie in the bushes. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> The name's Dolly. Dolly Goodhead. <laughs> um, yeah, just before we even talk about the cable car scene, which, by the way, is amazing. Um, it's, it's one of the best action scenes of any of the 70s movies. The introduction where Bond sees Holly. Um, <laughs> we get zero emotion out of Holly Goodhead throughout the course of this movie. The look on her face, did either of you guys notice like how she looked repulsed or whatever when she saw Bond? It's the only personality we see from her whole movie, and yet it doesn't seem like, it looks like she just sniffed like a giant Jaws fart or something. Like, I don't get what's with the look on her face. Uh, this, the second part that was just really, really kind of unusually funny to me was when the cable car stops, and it's like, it stopped, what are we going to do? He goes, I don't know, but it's better out than Yes, in. I wrote that it's down just, too, why? 
is this what Bond does when anything stops? Like, is he riding the bus and the bus comes to a red light? It's like, well, jump, jumps out the window and hops on the roof. This isn't going very well, guys. You better come out with me. <laughs> so quick to jump out onto, on top of this, this, you know, waving cable car, hundreds of feet in the air, just because it stopped. He doesn't see Jaws. Like, why is he doing this? Uh, otherwise, like, fantastic sequence um i love the fight scene the fact that we're seeing some blue screen mixed with the real stunt doesn't even bother me because it's some of the best blue screen we've seen in any of the bond movies and uh, i'm not that bothered by the like we've seen so many stupid things at this point and maybe it is partly because i saw this movie before the spy who loved me so this was kind of my introduction jaws i wasn't as bothered by it but i don't know the whole love story thing it's it's just as ridiculous as everything else in this movie but it's kind of funny, and I, I don't know of any other henchman that this would have been as acceptable with. I'm not saying it is acceptable. I would much rather Jaws have just gone out with a thing. <laughs> yeah, if Odd Job did this. Yeah. <laughs> Chang and his uh, his controller, you know. Oh, that <laughs> Chang love story, yes. Chang yeah. and Kevin. I think Nick Neck, should have, Nick Neck should have fallen in love with Jaws. Now, there's a heart difference. <laughs> <laughs> Odd Job would get jealous. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, if there's one henchman you want to see fall in love, it is Jaws. And maybe that's just me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I wanted to see Hans fall madly in love. Like, that was one thing missing, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Moonraker apologist. I can't get over. Still, probably saw this film 15 years ago. Still can't get over this love story thing. I think it ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a goofy film, but who came up with the idea? You could still turn him into a good guy without this. Um, yeah. And I was watching carefully, and someone could edit out every single Dolly scene, <laughs> and it would still be able to make perfect sense. Everything would still work in the film. So I want someone to get to work on that. Along with Goodhead, both characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no but, Like, you could just cut it when Jaws whacks into the thing and not show him waking up, and then next time he's back on the boat. And you don't even need her. You could edit her entirely out of this film, which someone please do. I need to see the Moonraker edit. Um, so, luckily for Bond and Holly, they get in an ambulance. Uh, <laughs> that's good for them. They needed that. They may have hurt themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool fight I like here, how they have to escape. But I love that Bond just has to slide the pole and then he can get out. Like, um, okay, that was good tying up. But I think it's pretty fun until Bond and the guy fall out of the ambulance, but Holly's still in there and they slide down the little bed things down. Uh, and then Bond becomes a cowboy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. Jaws... Uh, Bond rode a gondola, and then he went to Rio, and Jaws danced, and then Jaws fell in love. Then Bond had a fight in an ambulance, and then he becomes a cowboy. Um, and then he goes to a monastery. Um, <laughs> so I actually like the scene of him riding along with the music, because it's just so ridiculous. But, like, uh. how long, how much time has passed? Like, it... Like, when did he become a cowboy and meet all these guys and, and learn where he needs to go? To wear a poncho. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> all cowboys wear ponchos. Like, uh, yeah, He's makes got the suit like on underneath it, though. three weeks or something, not, like, 30 minutes. Um, so, yeah, wasn't Roger Moore in, like, Bonanza or something like that? So, 
Yeah, Bond as a cowboy, and then in the monastery, and um, we have MI6 on the scene once again, um, and trying out some new things, which is quite fun. I always love the Q scenes there, and Balls Q, Bowlers 007, which is a great scene. Um, and the last M briefing, which is we learn about the vial had highly toxic nerve gas that came from an orchid on the river. So Bond has to head to the river. Not the last time we'll see M, but the last M briefing for Bernard Lee, which is very upsetting. So, yeah, Bond as a cowboy after getting out of an ambulance and then joining a monastery to play with some bowlers. I thought you sniffing there was sniffing a giant Jaws fart for a moment. I was just wondering wondering what you were doing. Um, I love the ambulance scene when, like, Holly's, like, you know, suggestively staring at him and then he turns to Bond and it's like, is Bond suggestively staring at the man? (laughs) (laughs) And, like, you don't know, like, oh, he could be gay, well, he could be straight. Like, he's the... What makes you think this is my first time, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like the worst freaking henchman ever because like all he does that's what he was referring to his skyfall this ambulance scene. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all- this film has influenced the daniel craig one so much all this henchman does is just stare at people like you're not doing your job mate um when they fall out and he goes through the sign, I've marked that down as a kill, and I'm going to be interested to see if we're going to be... In, cause I, oh, and then more blatant advertising yeah. with, what was it, British Airlines? Oh, it was funny, she's like smoking it or something like that, but I'll be interested to get that debate, because I would assume that a man's head going through a sign like that isn't exactly going to be in one piece after that, but anyway. Um, I, look, I've, I've sat through, uh, what, how long have we been here? Like, nearly two hours of this episode, and we've fucking talked about gondolas turning into frickin' hovercrafts, and we haven't even got to spaceship. But why the fuck is he riding a horse with the Magnificent Seven, Magnificent Seven theme <laughs> play? Like, what the fuck is this got to do with anything? Is it a poncho? that decision. I didn't realise Brazil was known for their cowboy, like, movies. Like, you could probably cut that scene in the edit as well and just have him showing up at the uh, monastery. I mean, it would have made more sense to put him in leather on a motorbike with get your motor running, heading on the highway. Like, Easy Rider would have made more sense at this point than fucking Magnificent Seven. Um, I think the one thing that would have saved this movie is, you know, it hadn't been written probably for another 10 years. The perfect theme song now for this movie would have been Bon Jovi coming in going, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. I'm wanted, bon wanted, dead or alive. Like, it would have then at least had a plot point in the film, like, unlike fucking Shirley Bassey. Um, look... I don't know if adding Bon Jovi to a film <laughs> adds plot points. But at least the lyrics were fucking wanted dead or alive makes no, sense. No, Bon Jovi had such a sway on fiction scripts that he could add plot points by just it's playing... It's Moonraker! You could add Justin Bieber to this and it would somehow make sense. Like, why is he... And then he goes to a monastery! Like, <laughs> cowboys and monasteries! Like, why? 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 Oh, that's fun. Um... Okay. Yeah, sad moment, M's for I, I can't even mourn the last scene of Bernard Lee because of the ridiculous nature of Bond in well, a cowboy scene. The answer to why the cowboy scene is in there is because there was an eight-year-old out there that wrote Lewis Gilbert <laughs> and said, I love the Lawrence of Arabia music. Can you do a cowboy one in yeah. the next Why can't James can, Bond be a cowboy? Can I just add, <laughs> we, we're mentioning that this is the influence of Daniel Craig. This is the influence on a Daniel Craig movie, Cowboys and Aliens. Like, we've got space yeah. and cowboys. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, the cowboy thing... <sighs> 
It's so small. I'm not going to nitpick it like Ben did. I think Ben gave himself like a stroke yeah, it's in literally the middle of that. Fifteen there. seconds. <laughs> yeah. All it takes we sometimes. About the space stuff is like a small part. The cowboy thing is like blinking, you miss it. But why is he wearing <laughs> the poncho? And I wrote in my notes that Bond really misses his hat because I forgot to mention this earlier when he when he showed up and was investigating at night. You know, he he drove the gondola up there. For whatever reason, he felt the need to wear the gondola driver hat. Um, and here he's wearing the cowboy hat. Like, Bond is really missing his hat at this point. He's just willing to <laughs> go for whatever he can get to put on his head. Good hit. Uh, you know, the, the Q scene's okay, but I'm feeling like at this point, especially having watched these and talked about them, that we've seen all these Q on the scene things. And the whole thing with the balls is kind of funny. But then he says, like, I want that ready for Army Day. And I'm like... I don't get the reference. Like, the Ahmed Tea Party thing was funny. Yeah. I'm kind of over the cue on the scene now. And uh, kind of like you said, the, the the whole final scene for Bernard Lee, it's... I almost would have rather the last scene been him and Bond on the field. I mean, again, do either of you know, did he... did Was this kind of like with Pedro Armanderes where they knew he was sick? Or they knew it was his final no, movie, or was it... Pre-production, into, pre-production into Four Your Eyes Only, he was still planned to be in it, but he died... When that was just oh okay. yeah, so I yeah, don't that's think why there's no. Well, it's kind of like Des- it's kind of like though with Desmond Llewellyn. Like I don't was it ever announced that World Is Enough was his last? Was he died in a car crash? It wasn't like yeah. he'd retired or. Well, I think it probably no. Would've. It was supposed to be his last. Oh, okay, one. I, okay, there you go. Yeah. But I mean, it would have been nice to have a scene like that. And I liked him on the field with Bond and just another generic scene with him. So is he in the reentry scene? He isn't he the one who says like double oh seven. He's yeah, in so it, but it's not, really not his M last scene, but it's his last briefing, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it, like, this is an M scene here, and it, it's just completely forgettable, but the one thing I will say, and I haven't talked that much about it, but I've mentioned it a few times, that I think one of the reasons that, as you said, Ben, Roger Moore comes across as being so bored in this movie is because he doesn't have a sidekick. I mean, we see him with other people in the other movies, you know, <laughs> even if it's, even if it's just you know, a, a couple of schoolgirls and the man with the golden gun. I mean, he has somebody to play off of and he's just playing off of like a wooden board here, uh, with, uh, Lois Charles. And it, it's just most of oh, the time yeah, he's, wand- he's in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> most of the time though, he's just wandering around investigating things. And I'd be bored if I was Roger Moore too, but even though I'm not a huge fan of the scene, I mean, if you put him next to Desmond Llewellyn, put him next to Bernard Lee, Roger Moore really does seem to come alive a little bit more in this movie. So if nothing else, these scenes kind of have that going for is that Moore is a little bit engaged again. Yeah, so that's the last M briefing then. Um, but we'll talk about him briefly at the end of this. Um, and yeah, Moneypenny was in that scene. But the 70s doesn't care much for Moneypenny, um, unfortunately. So then Bond is up, what is it, the Amazon, I think it is? Well, I assume so. A big river in Brazil, probably going to be the Amazon. I don't, I don't um, think there's many other big rivers in Brazil. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Bond driving his boat around, and uh, as Ben already mentioned, random henchmen popping up once again. Um, and there's this big boat battle, which it's no live and let die, but I actually really enjoy this one. I love the sea mines and the torpedoes and everything that's going on. Jaws is back. Uh, I don't know where Dolly is, which, again, just edit her out. She's not even here. Um, so I think it's quite a fun little scene. I like Jaws with his machine gun. There's some bad green screen, but it's not too bad compared to what we've seen in the past. Um, 
So, fun stunts. I always like boat chases. And then kite surfing off the waterfall. Um, well, not kite surfing. Uh, yeah, what would you Hang gliding. Dancing in the woods. It's, it's no die another day. Um, it's not that silly. <laughs> um, hey, at least die another day looks a bit more realistic. than. Well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Even I had to stop myself with that defence of die another day there, Ben. Over the waterfall, and then I think we need to put this picture on the website or something because Jaws makes the funniest face I've ever seen in cinema history, which it's currently two out of three of our uh, display pictures on Skype. We literally now. have two Jaws facial expressions and a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> and Jaws goes overboard, but he can survive falling into a circus. So something tells me this isn't the end of Jaws. Um, so it's kind of a funny end because his face throughout this entire film, it's comedy Jaws now. We don't have our very menacing Jaws. Um, and then Bond follows the woman into the temple lair and they've got the women astronauts everywhere. Bond think he's in heaven, must be dreaming. Um, nice little callback to the beginning with those astronauts. And then Bond fights a python. Why not? Um, so a bit of a battle in the water against a python. Um, and I discovered he had a crush on me, which um, <laughs> not the greatest one. And meeting back up with Drax. Drax back on the scene. Uh, it's been a while since we've had him. Um, he says he wants to harness the power of the orchids as a mean of, means of death. And he's going to take his super race into space. Um there you go, Hitler never had a uh, a rocket, so uh, Trax is one up on him. Um, keep his super race up there, and then when everyone on Earth is dead, he would bring everyone back down to Earth. Um, the Moonraker is being launched, Bond is putting captivity with Holly, and they escape onto another rocket ship, Moonraker 6, and they head to space. James Bond is off to space. Woohoo! Oh, Lord. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Iron Sky was the name of that movie I was trying to think of before when the plot was about Nazis having a base on the moon. Um, I haven't seen it, but it looks good. no moon like. Um, all right, backtracking a bit. I, I love the fact that when they're talking about the plant and that obviously leads Bond to the large Brazilian river, um, that we have the map kind of coming out of a picture. There's a lot of maps coming out of pictures in this movie. Like, we had that... And a pigeon? A pigeon, yes. Yeah, so they just <laughs> mentioned the pigeon. I love the zoom and Q's looking at the map and it zooms in and there's Bond on, on the river. Um, look... <laughs> I said it before, Noah, you just mentioned it again. Random henchmen just rocking up to kill him. Like, ugh, there's just something about this film that it just, it's just like, why? Why are they there? What What's going on? Um, I will say that this, the whole uh, waterfall... Oh, now, I cannot probably pronounce this correctly. Iguazu Falls, I think is how you say it. Um, just an absolutely beautiful location. One of the most famous waterfalls in the world. Slight little movie mistake plot hole here of the fact that it's mentioned he's on the northern Amazon River and the fact these waterfalls are actually on the border of oh, Argentina and Brazil. Better. Everything that happens on the river. <laughs> yeah, that wrecks the, the Amazon. That's, that ruins it for me. Like, Bond in space I can tolerate, but the fact that they put these waterfalls in the wrong half of Brazil, no. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, the whole hang glider scene from the boat is hilarious. Um, who was there anybody else thinking that it was about to have a boat plane uh, when he starts seeing these? Wings? Well, might as well. Well, it was the most realistic thing ever. George's face, yes. Um, I love the fact that Bond just conveniently lands 
at the temple in the Amazon. Like, oh, God, he's good at navigating. Um, and, yeah, this whole scene, like, I think it's an amazing set. Like, it's, yeah, it's it cool looks temple. incredible, this whole temple. Um, and we get to meet all the master race, all these beautiful people. Notice how, like, he never has any of the beautiful men there ready to meet Bond. It's only the women. Uh, and funny fact, one of the uh, women was actually Lois Maxwell's daughter. So, Money, the actress, well, I don't know which one, um, was the actress, of course, Money Penny's actress's daughter. So, there you go. Oh, I thought, when you said I don't know which one, I thought you were talking about Lois Maxwell. Yeah, Lo- Lois Maxwell was one of the uh, master races. Young Lois Maxwell or old Lois <laughs> um, The scene was... was that Michael G. Wilson's voice over the speakers? I'm not sure if anyone else picked up on that. Um, I know he had a cameo in this. I don't know. I swear if it was him it was. doing the like ten seconds to launch now. They always have to hire one of those people, don't they? Like in these evil lairs. Like we're talking about henchmen's R us, where they get jaws and that from. Where's the random guy who has to repeat instructions over speakers R us? Um, that was Nicky. The whole scene with the <laughs> snake. Um, like they say, it's a python. Is that not an anaconda? Yeah, I wrote anaconda in my note and then had to yeah. delete it when he said python. So do I. Like, I'm no snake expert. I know you love them, Noah. But like, I know the world's largest snake is an anaconda. I don't know if a python can get that long. Maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. You're picking apart the length of snakes. <laughs> I love the fact when Drax comes out and is like, "You killed my pet python." I'm there, like thinking when Bond's wrestling this snake and he kills it. Like they're all like. Going, Oh, it was our beloved pet, Charlie. Like, <laughs> oh, he was just hungry. Why'd you have to do that? We missed a uh, python double take. <laughs> <laughs> just, somebody needs to edit the pigeon at that point when he's killed the snake. Like, burr, burr, like you killed the snake. Uh, I like the line. I discovered he had... Well, he's not Sean Connery, but whatever. He sounds like Sean Connery. I discovered <laughs> he had a awesome. Like, It sounds better in a Sean Connery accent than one line, let's all be honest. Um, and then we get the whole, you know, scene, explanation, why is he doing what he's doing, of course. And then, yes, we all end up going into space. Now, Noah, were you not thinking back to you only live twice? What would have happened if Bond went into space? Well, we know what would happen if Bond goes into space. Yeah, the answer to that question, like, six episodes ago, is about to be answered. Well, look, I know you're laughing at me like, Ben, you're really worried about the misplace of the waterfalls in comparison to this whole plot like i went through as i think we all probably did when we were younger the whole space phase we were obsessed with space right and this would have been great had we just when we're younger i'm still in it well yeah i I get you there but like you know i've got a nitpick here like these master race people where are their helmets where are their space (laughs) like they're just chilling in their shorts and t-shirts in a fucking spaceship we had this explained earlier with the spinny thing that this is like multiple g-forces taking off doesn't seem to affect anyone on the launching of this this. is what you're picking about now their costumes there's like 10 (laughs) space shuttles just being launched out of the brazilian jungle in the amazon they they talk about the radar jamming capabilities of the space station where's the radar capabilities of 10 random space shuttles well yeah even (laughs) even if they've got the radar Radar jamming. People are still going to see rockets being shot <laughs> like, out of the Amazon. The Brazilians, you know, the you know party folk, like, oh, Ronaldo, look at the spaceship. Let's keep drinking. Like, what? Um, and then, yeah, we're we're in space, people. This is a James Bond film. We've gone from 
fucking hovercraft to cowboys to space. Ah. Oh. I, well, I want to see the deleted scene where Bond takes a pit stop and gets those diamonds and takes them back to <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> I, I got the diamonds. I left those behind. <laughs> Turns into Sean Connery again. <laughs> Sean Connery's stowed away with the Master Race. Roger, do you mind if we make a little pit stop? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I just uh, just really quickly, sorry, Colin. There was a scene I think we missed with General Goggle or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he, of course, he's like, oh, you know, it's terrible to be awake and he, you see the beautiful blonde. Well, we didn't miss it, but anyway. I'll have, oh, well, I'm maybe jumping ahead here. Oh, we didn't miss it, sorry. But I just, I found, a, you two probably already knew, knew this, but I love the fact that that scene originally was intended to be Anya from um, The Spy Who Loved Me in bed waiting for General Goggle. She was meant to make a cameo appearance, but they scrapped it because they thought, it would have been shit, which it probably would have been, but anyway. <laughs> it would have been, but we're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, sleeping with General Goggles. 90% of this film, so... <laughs> it was Jinx in bed with General Goggles. That was what they thought would be terrible. <laughs> oh, no, no, no one would buy that. Let's go back to no, Bond being a cowboy. <laughs> uh, first with the, the boat chase, not too much to add on the fact I think that the boat ch- chase kind of works and it kind of doesn't. There's so much praise for John Barry's score in this movie. I mean, it probably is among his top three most popular, if not some considered to be his best score ever. But the music that's in the boat chase, I know it's a favorite. You know, They're bringing it back for the first time since Diamonds Are Forever, the 007 theme. But yeah. it's so slow that it just drags down what would be this exciting boat chase. Because what I was surprised about really trying to analyze this and especially trying to look for the kills is how violent some of these explosions are. And they have the dummies in there. Like, you really want to get a bit of a laugh. Like, just watch the movements these dummies have every time these boats explode. It's actually quite funny. I would have liked the boat chase a lot more with uh, a little bit of peppier music in there. But that's a minor complaint for what's otherwise... Yeah, the Magnificent Seven theme would have worked or really good. the orchestra good. theme um, from we best known from <laughs> Gondola. <laughs> and we, we also, we didn't mention the 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> So many missed opportunities in this movie. Let's be honest. It all comes down to the music. Um, for anybody who has been waiting for James Bond versus Pythonosaurus, uh, <laughs> one of those great asylum movies, <laughs> we had the brief teaser of it here. Guy no tooth. <laughs> yes. Uh, inside reference, not everybody's going to get, unless you no. listen to all of our shows. Um, no one does. <laughs> I will be totally with you here, Ben. Ken Adams sets in this movie are so incredible. I mean, I don't think anything can really ever top the volcano set just for the sheer size of it and uh, the complexity of the, the, the spy who loved me set, obviously, but he's just topped one after the other here. I mean, the, the snake layer, if you want to consider it, that just looks incredible. And then when you get into Drax's control room, it's like, I've never seen anything that looks like that before. I mean, they have, these weird angles and you've got screens that are on the wall, screens that are diagonally kind of on the ceiling, screens that are, you know, all over the place. It's just, it's such a good set. Um, here's the biggest complaint about the movie for me. And again, I'm really enjoying the second half, but we've spent 90 minutes at this point following Bond on this mission. And it's all about, we think, well, Drax is going to kill the human race. But the real plot here is Drax stealing the Moonraker. Why did he steal the Moonraker? 90 minutes of plot, and it comes down to these exact words. Because I needed it. 
one of my Moonrakers developed a fault during assembly. And that's it. That's the last thing he says. Like, we've spent 90 minutes, and you're just going to brush it off. Uh, one of the other ones had a glitch, so I needed to steal it. Like, they could have done anything. They could have said, well, I needed to make sure that NASA didn't take one of these Moonrakers first. Or, you know, uh, one of mine was sabotaged by Agent Good child and or good, uh, good head. Uh, child stole it. <laughs> there's too child many children in this. Damn you, Kevin! What was he? Kevin Tooth? Oh, I can't. Remember. <laughs> Kevin Head. Kevin. Kevin <laughs> We're missing everybody's names up so bad here. Um, but yeah, like it could have been anything. Like it just the second he said. One of mine developed a fault, so I, I I needed it. Like he didn't even say I needed it back, and it was mine to begin with. Like it's mine. He's not he's not that good of a villain because he just doesn't have a good motive, and he's always. I'm gonna have a couple of good words that he has later on that he uses some of his hilarious speeches. Um, one in this scene where he says, "Even in death, my munificence is boundless." <laughs> what does that even mean? Like. <laughs> It feels like they're just putting big words in his mouth here to make him seem more unique. And I was just, uh, I love the set, but don't love the scene. And, you know, the whole escape they have from the space uh, uh, launch is okay. But at this point, I'm going to be the only one bored with this, but I just want to see Bond in space. Like, the movie has been absurd enough up until this point, but it's been just a standard Bond movie. Let's just go all the way and have him in space so i'm forgiving all the inconsistencies the fact that there is no helmet the fact that uh they're taking the spots of two people who were going to be so incredibly late like bond and goodhead are buckling their seat belts on like the count of three <laughs> yet these other people weren't even in their seats at that point so i mean everybody's showing up late like you said ben i mean all these things are forgivable though because Bond's about to go into space. It, it's the most absurd thing you've ever seen, and you might as well laugh at it and have fun. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm much the same. It's ridiculous, but just accept it, and you'll have a lot more fun. I actually don't mind the space stuff. It, it is so lame, but it's shot well, and it's fun. And if you just don't take it too seriously and don't try and put chronology or anything like, oh, and this is the year that Bond went to space, and then he came back. If you just accept it as a film, then it's... I think it's fun. Um, so as we keep saying, Bond and Holly go to space, to Drax's space station and dock there. Um, very uh, New hope feel here, except for Drax doesn't have a massive helmet. But were you missing like the that. line when they were getting closer and they're like, what is that? You're like, it's a moon. It's no moon. It's a space station. Big plot twist of the film. Um so, as I already said, Drax wants to make a, a super race and have everyone lived here and live here and then they'll be sent back. So, who knows how long they're going to be up here for. I hope they packed enough uh, wheat picks or something like that because they could be up here for a while. Um, and do they only have the one, like, uh, shirtless jumpsuit or whatever it is they're wearing? They've got to show they're sexy. Yeah, they're, like, they're, you know, they're the master race, Colin. They're very attractive people. <laughs> They need the master race, they have to all be wearing the same uniform. And, of course, two attractive people having sex and a baby automatically means they're going to be perfect children. Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, so Holly starts kicking ass. Uh, they turn the radar jamming off, as Ben mentioned, the General Gogol cameo, which is kind of cool. Um, and then George shows up, fights him, and he's captured. 
but now the US spacecraft can head up to the station now that the jamming is being blocked, and they're very fast at getting up to space, aren't they? Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> 30 minutes and they're up there. <laughs> Must have been too far up into space, this station. Um, and then we have here this battle about to start, and Jaws turns good for seemingly no reason other than his girlfriend's there, um, and helps Bond out. And the gravity is turned off, so everything's going wild. And we have Space Battle, um, which we'll cap it there. But Jaws turning good is just... like He literally just captured Bond, and now he's turning good. And we have Jaws still balls, of course, as well, which is hilarious. Like His Jaws made up entirely of metal. Um, Darth Vader. He's, yeah, C-3PO. Um, oh. Yeah... I think the set is really good in the space station here. I like having to turn the radar off, but Jaws turning good is just bizarre. Um, and the space battle, I actually don't mind it, but it's ridiculous. We're watching a James Bond people. And we've got a movie and we've got people outside shooting lasers at each other. Um, the graphics aren't too bad, but if you watch um, a new hope, um, they really pale in comparison, but, it's a unique final climax battle, I'll say that. It's different. Um, it's probably not the worst. I could probably name a worse one. So it's it's fun, but it's ridiculous. We'll say quickly with Jaws turning good, I think isn't it established he does that because he realises that him and his girlfriend aren't part of the master race and that they're no doubt going to be yeah. killed. So that's where he's like, oh, fuck. we better- came off so well. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I just assumed. Like, oh, we're fucking Makes ugly. It's difficult when Jaws can't speak to really get that emotion across. Um, yeah, like... Oh, I have to. One thing I say before I go on my little yelling rant, as I have throughout this entire episode. Please don't yell. Um, what maybe this maybe is what draws me to Drax is sort of the the evil plan. If you actually analyze kind of all the villains' plans, I'd have to say that Drax's plan is probably one of the most sadistic and pricky like because he's got this gas that is going to kill only humans. He wants to conserve plant life and animals because that's nature. That's fine. And he wants to wipe out human beings so he can start out his... I mean, it is very Hitler. Like, it is It is Hitler. Where does he get the the super race from? Well, he just probably, like, did a talent contest. Like, Was there auditions? Like, a model agency? Or, yes, you're going to be on the front cover of this magazine, then kidnaps them to space. And, and it's, it's a very white master race, isn't it? We've only got, what, one Asian and, and one, um, you know, black person. Like, it's very much like... What's to, what's to say um, that they won't just turn on Drax as soon as they're back on Earth? Exactly. Like, all of them. <laughs> and, well, there was supposed to be two Asians, but Char slash Chang died. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I'm just wondering, like, as you said, like, turn on him. Like, is Drax part of this master race? Does he have to have sex with the pretty blonde people, like, and get one of them pregnant? And they're like, ew, no, you're not hot. And I don't know how it works. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> You look like Ricky Gervais. There's a few things. <laughs> <laughs> he does, actually. Good call. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things here. Like, I brought it up before, and you just brought it up then, like, how quick the Americans are to get to space. Like, 
These meticulous planning involved in the launch of a spaceship. They have to wait for Come weather. On, McDonald, into the rocket. They have to wait for weather to be perfect. Like space shuttle launches got cancelled because there was a wind gust that was two kilometers faster than they're allowed to take off, and they've just like popped in their Tirana and gone down the shops. Like this is how quick it is. Like, and you've got a whole army of astronauts. I didn't realize Man, NASA this is science fact. Okay? I didn't realize NASA had an army of like well trained like. <laughs> Soldiers ready to go with a whim. Like, what if, like, one of those soldiers was on holiday at Crab Key chilling with Honey Rider? Like, how do they get to fly? Are they always on call in case there's an evil battle about to happen? And, like, when they've seen this on the radar, their first instance, oh, we better send something up there. This could be freaking aliens taking over the Earth. You don't know what it is. Like, like, no. Um, And this whole sequence, like, the battle and we're in space, we've lost all credibility of this being anything at this point. But what really kills it for me is we have a battle involving lasers! Like, no, Bond! Well, you're not going to use bullets well, space. This is more, science fact. But it would be more realistic to use fucking bullets! Like, lasers! No! I'm done. What was Gustav Graves' weapon in Die Another Day? Really? <laughs> yeah. But that was 2002, like when laser technology... Lasers are big in 2002? And they harnessed yeah. it from the sun. It was solar energy, if you want to be technical. Oh, you, so yes. You, you don't explain... Sun, it's scientific now here. How do they get laser sun guns lasers. in 1979? Where did they go to George Lucas and say, George... Uh, George, he's Jaws now. <laughs> Jaws. George, can we borrow your props you use in a film that we can then well, use in this realistic plot? But it's actually in the. This is one thing that is explained in the background of the Q scene. They're testing out the yeah, new Q laser. So this is something that has been explained. I understand that, but we see that laser is held on long and melts a guy's head. These lasers are just pew, pew, pew. Like, there is a lot of pew, pew, pew in this film. Oh, like. No, just no. Um, I love all the space stuff here. Uh, and again, maybe it's just as like a Star Wars fan or a fan fan even of like old school Battlestar Galactica. But I mean, it's just fun. And I know I was the biggest complainer about Diamonds Are Forever for being absurd and too ridiculous. But the difference yeah. is this has some scale to it. It's, it's a spectacle. And like you said, the set, like Ken Adams' Spectacle. sets just keep getting better each time. <laughs> Spectacle, yes. Um, That's the sequel to Spectre. <laughs> but all of the space stuff here is pretty good. I mean, the action scene, if this was a Star Wars Well, the space stuff here is pretty good. No, it is. Like, if you put this in a Star Wars movie, you're going to be like, yeah, it's not bad. You know, I, it's I not agree that with that. Oh, I Colin, agree. we're watching a James Bond movie, not Star Wars. <laughs> Well, we are, we're going to be saying the same thing in Die Another Day. We're going to be replaying all these clips. Oh, I've got to be defending <laughs> the shit Day out of Die Another Day compared to Moonraker. We talk in Die Another Day. We just replay this episode. <laughs> um, a couple of things I found funny in here. When the NASA 15-minute crew is able to come up um, <laughs> armed with lasers and everything, Drax Express. has some massive... Drax has some massive laser he intends to hit them with. And I was just waiting for the line where he's like, uh, Bond's like, you know, 
uh, why did you steal that laser back from the Empire's Death Star? It's like, well, mine <laughs> developed a glitch, and I needed to replace it. Like, <laughs> he's just constantly stealing these mass weapons back from everybody. Someone, someone needs to edit a scene where Princess Leia's with Darth Vader, and um, <laughs> I'm going to blow up your hometown, North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> no one will even notice. Or oh, they need to edit the scene when they're like shooting the laser at the end to destroy the like those floaty vile things. That one of the ones they miss, it blows up Alderaan. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> you just blew up Alderaan. Uh, I I do like like one of the things that bothers me here is that there's even when they are weightless, you'll see things floating around and yet everybody's hair is still falling to gravity. <laughs> they're just really moving funny. in slow motion. That's all the actors are doing. Like Whoa. Well, they they trained at the same Professor Dr. Metz uh, camp with the moon buggy. Uh, <laughs> diamonds are forever. But you guys have to agree, the moment where the, ant, the, the the gravity field is shut off here, there's a really cool shot where everything just starts floating crazy everywhere. Yeah. And it's a nice, like, again, I love really astronauts who get shot as well, who just float off in the background, just frozen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Space. That's really Shouldn't cool. Shouldn't their part. faces be melting off like the when yeah. it was tested on Earth? <laughs> yeah. That's different space. And, like, why when Drax, when Drax dies and goes out into space, why doesn't his head explode? Isn't that what happens in zero gravity? He just floats off like normal. Well, well, I mean, they, no. It, they tried that with "Live and Let Die," and it looked horrible. <laughs> it should be—he should be freezing instantly, which is why it's so funny that these heat lasers work so well, and that you have all these giant explosions of fire out there. There's no oxygen to fuel the fire. <laughs> Space is as cold as it gets. So, uh, how is this existing? Like, but it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And this is the only part of the movie that really deals in space. I should remind everybody listening. This isn't James Bond goes into space, the movie. It's a James Bond movie that ends with some really entertaining space battles. And that's all this really is. Yeah, I, I agree. It's fun. It's silly, but it's fun. Um, Just should point out here, too, that this holds a world record, this scene as well. Um, that it's apparently got the largest number of zero gravity wires ever used in one scene. So, most lasers? Well, that too. I'm looking forward to the um, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, when Luke becomes a spy at MI6. That's going to be a good one. But um, that would be more realistic. I'd believe Star Wars turning into James Bond, not James Bond turning into Star Wars. You would. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, as was already mentioned, Drax is killed in... Like, coming off shot him in the dick, this is a great death. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Like, if you're going to have a film in space, then have this guy sucked out and, like, Floating off into the distance, I think it's really cool. Um, I didn't and write it down. Back the, the dart too. That's it was nice to yeah, have yeah. that back. The one yeah, gadget really he loved. uses in the entire film. I didn't write it down. Did anyone else write the great Drax quote here? He says something like, "You're a pain in my something." <laughs> Some elaborate uh, word for bum. <laughs> no, he said. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't write it down. I really wish I did. I'll bring it up next episode. It's a really great quote there. Um, so Drax is killed and all this stuff is happening. I'm not sure what happened to all the astronauts outside. Uh, did that ever get fully explained? Did they just get back on the express? This is Moonraker. Nothing gets explained. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bond and Holly escape on the other Moonraker and they need help. So Jaws, can you help us get free? Um, so Jaws helps cause he's a good guy now, apparently. Um, and <sighs> What would you know? It's someone left a bottle of champagne around. <laughs> uh, didn't know that was part of the super race diet. 
And shocker, Jaws can talk. Um, <laughs> hooray. Well, here's to us. <sighs> and the space station has blown up. Jaws is the hero of this film saving the day. And I always assumed that they this was the end of Jaws and he got killed um, up until this rewatch when I noticed on, like, McDonald what the space station said, we picked up at Survivor a tall guy and a girl. Um, and I always assumed that was the end of Jaws, but I mustn't have picked up on that line ever before and I think it should have been the death of Jaws because um, the thought of him and Dolly coming back next film really uh, is not a good thought. Well, um, him, Dolly, and BB would have had a threesome. That's how your eyes also would have gone. <laughs> and I'll buy you a champagne. Um, so, yeah, Roger Moore, Bond turns into uh, Luke Skywalker flying the X-Wing around here and shooting off these, what was it, like, miss... Oh, I can't even Lasers. <laughs> Yeah, he had to shoot some sort of thing to get back to Earth. <laughs> and then they're broadcasting Bond and Holly uh, to the White House and Buckingham Palace and zero gravity scene here, which is quite fun. And that famous line, I think, is attempting re-entry, sir, which is played way too much, but it's still funny, even though we've seen it for the 800th time. Um and the last moment of M ever is this scene. Uh, but we'll, maybe we'll have a eulogy for M at the end of this rather well, than Bernard Lee M. Now. M comes back. Well, <laughs> I would argue never again. We've got a real M. Hey, um, you leave Judy alone. Yeah, so that's the end. Jaws somehow escapes with Dolly. Space Station is blown up. Everything's fine. Drax is sucked off the air. And to finish it off, we don't have a nobody does it better, and we don't have a James Bond is here, but we do have a Moonraker Disco Edition. Yeah. Like, up the times. Like, this is the definition of your, oh, Madonna was keeping up with the times. This is keeping up with the times. We got Moonraker Disco. Um, I was dancing along to this. Um, this <laughs> Like yours? It's, it's so Yeah, it's ridiculous, but it kind of fits with the whole space thing a lot better than the original one. Like, maybe they should have used this, even though it's probably worse. But it's hilarious that they've got, where are you? Boom, 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 moonraker disco. Um, and then James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only, dot, dot, dot. No, we really mean it this time. He will be back <laughs> For Your Eyes Only. Um, so that's kind of the end. I think it kind of loses a bit after the um, space battle, but there's not too much here. Um, I think we'll touch on M and we'll touch on Jaws after this bit because I've got some stuff to say about Jaws and M. But kind of the the post-climax battle for the end of this movie. I have to say, in, disco. in the whole final battle scene, James Bond really doesn't do much until he gets into the space shuttle. Like, he's just running around and killing Drax and that's about it. Um, I do love... No, other things. I, I do love the fact that he is, like, giving directions to American soldiers and they listen to him. Like, to them, like, how, how, they know who he is when he's like, <laughs> you know, you, you can go now. Your mission is complete, Colonel. Like, well, how do you know? Like, oh, we thought it was a part of the super race. Yeah, exactly. You just killed James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, look, we get the whole sequence, you went over it, and like the whole Bond getting helped by Jaws is a nice little touch. I, I do have to question, though, when they say, like, oh, we picked up a tall man and a blonde girl, like, I'm guessing they would know who Jaws is. 
So, like, are they going to, like, let... Oh, no, hang on a minute, guys. I turned good up in space. Don't kill me. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're okay. The reality of this is Jaws probably spent the rest of his life in a really, like, Guantanamo or something like that when he got captured. Like, he's not going to get to live his life with Dolly. Exactly. So... Boohoo Jaws. Um, <laughs> the whole sequence where he's like shooting the, the floating vats of giant gas and he's like bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere. Okay, we better make this realistic because, you know, science nerds will be like, oh, hang on a minute. He's like going through the atmosphere. Um, all this sort of stuff. Fantastic. I do like the whole, who's attempting re-entry, sir? Like, I, I do love it when we get a, a cue double entendre, like, you know, obviously I love the world is not enough, um, you know, at the end and the millennium bug and obviously when he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm going well ahead. But look, it's the line, take me around the world one more time. Like, oh, I love that line. I like it if it was done by an actor who could act. Like, he's in space. Ah, oh, but I, I have to, I laughed during the credits. Like, I didn't really pay too much. I'd block out the music at that point. I'm like, oh, here we go again. But I love the fact that if, I don't know if any of you caught up with it, when they're talking about locations, filmed on location in Brazil, oh, USA, yeah. and outer space, exploration mark. I've never noticed that before, but I was cracking up. I can't believe they actually did <laughs> Like, oh, that's, that, that bit there, I was like, okay. Good call. You've got to, you, you're taking the piss out of yourselves, and we've just watched two hours of taking the piss out of yourselves. Um, I just want to quickly say, like, as much as I'm shitting on this film, this whole sequence and everything, like, it's it's good that it's... If this was a space movie, fantastic. Like, great, brilliant. It worked really well. Because it actually, in my rewatch, it, I kind of had this feeling that it looked really bad, but it actually doesn't look that bad. Like, the sets are great. Special, no Star Wars. Spe- but it's no pretty- Star Wars. But, like, 1979 special effects. It's, it kind of holds up if you look at it. But I just, again, my biggest gripe is that we are watching a James Bond film. And that's, again, I'm just going to keep going over and over again that that's my person. Like, if James Bond character was an astronaut and a, instead of a, you know, a commander in the Navy, fine, I'd buy it. But he's not. He's a Navy commander. And Navy commanders commanders don't go into space. Um, <laughs> again, your gripe is that Navy commanders don't go into space. <laughs> not that astronauts are wielding lasers or... Um, <laughs> Or the U.S. Express. Rocket. I had a conversation with Mildred. She knows a lot of Navy guys, okay? Yeah. Mildred made her way around the Navy. Um, <laughs> wow. Jeez. Bert, no? Good, <laughs> good head. Um, um, yeah, you know what? The jaw is turning good. I don't think it was handled that poorly, so I don't mind it. I do mind the whole here's to us and the champagne thing. Mm. I completely agree we could cut her out of this movie and i think the movie works better um i wonder if they actually wanted jaws to come back because there's really no other reason to have that brief comment i know i've caught it in the past where i've watched the movie and been like oh it says right there that jaws you know they found jaws and i always catch it but then the next time i watch the movie i forget because it's just it's such a throwaway comment so i figure they probably wanted to bring jaws back and then when they decided to switch from Lewis Gilbert to John Glenn, John Glenn was like, no, let's bring a little bit more realism. Keep the pigeons, ditch the eight-foot-tall guy. <laughs> I like um, pretend that he dies. I think it's a good outfit. Jaws. Well, that's the end. Yeah, it was some other large man with the short blonde woman <laughs> that they found in the shuttle. Well, from, that just technically, uh, Bond's a man and good head. Not blonde. Girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... 
the last sequence again bond movies always have that final sequence that's shorter than the climax this one just doesn't work because there's no movement i mean you're just having them follow something moving through space and then it's like oh it's burning up now like, well <laughs> if you're burning up it's burning up so i'm not worried about it you know uh i i much prefer the rest of the climax the the scene with jaws and the here's to us like i always want to see him try to kiss her and just his teeth get in the way like we could see some hilarious scene where jaws goes to kiss his girlfriend and just inadvertently bites her lips right off of her face because like, this man's just not prepared for what's going to happen. Followed by the how facial did... expression. Yeah, like, how do the... The bloodiest hickey <laughs> ever. Yeah. Like, you really do question how do they have a relationship at this point? Like, this man can't do anything. Um, he, he's got steel junk in his front. Uh, he's, he's got steel teeth. Can't She's kiss broken. her even. She is broken. Yeah. Uh, Who is what... she, by the way? She's Dolly. She's Why is she on the spaceship? She sounded like a cold yeah, figure gangster. Is... Who is she? I don't like this. What an up. Like, who is this <laughs> white woman who was just in Brazil at the right point at the right time? Then she's on the rocket and she's in love with him. Who is she? <laughs> you know, they also don't have any uniforms like everybody else because clearly they don't make them that big or that small. So they have to go and in the Why street. doesn't she talk? <laughs> I have another question, and again, this is I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into this before we get to the ending, but why is Manuela in this movie? She just disappears completely. Why isn't she helping the daughter hadn't gotten laid in 20 minutes. <laughs> We're just bringing up every flawed hole we can. But again, you were, you're going off of me for nitpicking about Navy commanders going into space. You'd look, who is she? Where's Manuela? <laughs> Well, she's an important, integral part of this film. Which Dolly one? Well, Dolly, she's the one who helps them escape. Well, she doesn't. Well, she I just points she and look. Them. Yeah, she whispers to Jaws, go and bend the pole. <laughs> but the alternate part of this is where Bond is inside Jaws. We need your help to break free. And he goes, and she's like, no, no, no. Step aside, Jaws. I got this. And she rips the car with the that she does whisper to him though and then he gives that bizarre thumbs up but this well, begs the question though does Dolly suffer stuff. from the same syndrome as whisper because <laughs> clearly she can talk like she whispers in his ear but why can't she speak out loud Shang, Whisper and Dolly are not verbal Look, there's no one else around why didn't she just say to him why does she have to whisper it into his ear what uh, it's your champagne <laughs> what here's the ones. <laughs> Again, we're analysing this scene while they're in space after just having a laser battle, and this is the bit that annoys you. Listen, I'm gonna uh, end Mr. this. Mr. North of the Nile or North of the Amazon? <laughs> Wrong continent. I'm gonna end this entire nitpicking session by bringing to close the biggest plot hole in James Bond movie history, going all the way back to You Only Live Twice. We finally found Lewis Gilbert's floating camera. It is in space watching people have sex, and Bond turned it off for good. It will never be seen again. <laughs> Yay! <Woo! so> cool. <laughs> uh, are you done with this ending bit then, Colin? Oh yeah, I think we're all done with this ending bit. <laughs> we have lost the plot oh, this episode. Um, yeah, Moonraker disco finish. Uh... Let's talk this film. Uh, let's talk about 
Jaws. Uh, we've already talked about his girlfriend in depth right then, even though we know nothing about her. This Jaws is the best henchman in The Spy Who Loved Me. He is so sinister, so mean. He fights a shark. He does all this stuff. He never dies. This film, it's a big joke. Not only did they turn me into a goodie, they also turned him into a comedic character through the dancing and the airport, although the airport's kind of cool, falling into a circus, falling into a, a seven-up stand, falling in love with some random girl at first sight who can't talk unless she whispers and is just randomly in Brazil and then in space, making the worst face when he falls off a waterfall, which he survives, heading into space... Then, at last minute, deciding when he's in space to turn on uh, the guy he's working for, who got him from a henchman recruitment agency, where he helps James Bond, his arch nemesis, escape. Then he's with his girlfriend, opens a bottle of champagne that just happens to be there. Then he talks. This silent, scary henchman talks. Here's to us. Then he somehow escapes later on and ends back at Earth. That is Jaws' arc in this film. And I am a Moonraker apologist. Screw Jaws in this film. I can't stand it. It's just... Watching this back-to-back has just made it even worse. Uh, Nothing good to say... Well, barely anything good to say about Jaws in this film. I really don't like it. I completely disagree. He's like one of the few things I like about this film. And I think Jaws' arc sums up this movie. Like, it's just... We have him in... Spy Who Loved Me is, as you explained him, and such an iconic film. And then we get to this, and it makes complete sense that he turns into what he does because of just what this film is. And I, I, I personally don't have a big deal against him turning good because I think it makes logical sense. Like, hey, we're up on this spaceship. You're about to have all these beautiful people just having an orgy every day. Which- yeah, but it's not like Jaws is someone who's an intelligent thinker who uses his brain. He's a killer who kills anything inside. Well, he must have enough brain to realise the situation, the gravity, of the situation at that point. Well, I think it was a bit late at that point to well, decide like that never. he's in space. Well, again, he's in space. Like, what part is making sense right now? Like, he's in space. This is science fact, okay? <laughs> um, I'm done. I'm, yeah, it's funny because Ben's the one who was hating on the movie. Noel was the one who I think was going to be the uh, biggest supporter of this. And yet you guys are on total opposite pages as far as Jaws goes. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle for both the movie and on Jaws. I like when Jaws is on screen, even if he is stupid. Um, but I also could just say, take him or leave him, replace him, with, have Chang in it a little bit longer. No. Uh, Maybe not Chang. Um, Cha, on the other hand. Cha, Cha would be so welcome in this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What, what, would Cha, what would Cha's gimmick be? I mean, Chang's got the bull cut. Jaws has to steal everything. Cha has to have something. Well, apparently everyone in this film is whispering. Like, they miss yeah. Whisper. Cha just yells everything. <laughs> well, we, we established ah! that Whisper didn't die in that uh, rocket thingy, so... Maybe Whisper has a dolly mask on. 
Yeah. And Jaws yeah, actually right. fell in love with a <laughs> so white African-American he's lost, lost a bit of height and lost a bit of weight as well. Um, yeah. Well, he wanted to look presentable for his boyfriend, Jaws. He went on the Atkins <laughs> diet. It really worked for him. Uh, I, I don't mind talking. <laughs> it still wouldn't be the silliest thing to happen in this film. <laughs> could, you, could, you, could you imagine Whisper, like, at dinner table? No, I can't eat that. I'm on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> what? I said, no, I can't eat that. You want me to this. fry it? <laughs> Too much no, I'm on a diet. Too much love <laughs> we back on Whisper? Uh, Jaws. I don't know. Take him or leave him. It, it's okay. It's it's cool that we have a henchman who appeared twice. And again, I'll say better Jaws in this than some other henchman falling in love. I'm surprised they actually haven't done a returning henchman, though. Maybe they saw this. Except for Mr. White, I guess, maybe. But maybe they saw this and thought, mm, maybe not. Um <laughs> But just to make it even worse, I've been looking at this picture on Skype. I think we definitely have to put it on the website. It's not helping Jordan's case. I've been looking at it for the last two hours. Uh, wow. All right. Let's 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 tone it down a bit. And we have a sad farewell to Bernard Lee. Um, it is quite disappointing that this is his last James Bond film. I like Moonraker, but it's not like M is fits into this world like he definitely has some comedy but um yeah anyway you know what i mean but i have to say to me i love judy dench robert brown take him or leave him ray fines we haven't really got a chance to see him yet to me bernard lee is m he just fits the character so well when i read the books i read uh, as bernard lee he plays the character so well he can do comedy he can do stern he sticks up for james bond while he also brings him down judy uh judy judy lee judy dench uh <laughs> was really good in the in her seven films but to me nothing can top bernard lee i'm very upset that we don't get to see any more of him because every scene he's been in he's done something good or had a funny line, and I still want to know what happened in Tokyo with him and Bond, but, yeah, Bernard Lee is M to me, so I'm going to be very upset that we're not going to have any more of him for the rest of this uh, watch-through, because he is such great and one of the most iconic and best characters of the series. Very upset. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that, because, obviously, you know, we all grew up on Judy Dench, and for the most part, we had to go back and watch these films, and... It's been sort of a while since I'd watched a lot of these and, you know, I'm so used to Judy Dench just being M, knowing obviously that Bernard Lee was the first and played him for the most, played the character for the most. I shouldn't just generalise that as a, a he because obviously that's not the case. But, uh, look, he is the most icon. It's kind of like, you know, Sean Connery is James Bond. If you want to sort of analyse it, he was the first, he did it the best, most people argue that. I personally might have a different opinion to that. Same with what you were saying. I think Bernard Lee is M. There is no questioning about that. He's the iconic one. I probably still would put Judy just above Bernard. Um, as you know, I don't know how that goes down in the James Bond fan community, but I just think there was a something extra with Judy Dench's betrayal. But <laughs> Bernard is still up there. I mean, who remembers Robert Brown? Please, um, <laughs> but like his mum. The the one thing I will say, like we were talking about when he died. Um, 
head stomach cancer, uh, was admitted there uh, in the, towards the end of 1980, and he died two months later in January 1981, six days after he turned 73. And basically, for, for your eyes only, um, they couldn't find a replacement, and they rewrote the script so that it was said his character was on leave. So, well, I think it was more of a respect thing, but mm. we can touch on that next film. Yeah, I think I think it was a bit of both because I think obviously they had him slated in there as well. So, kind of like the Irma Bunt uh, thing, they didn't want to bring her back out of respect. Yeah, but. Um, you know, watching this, knowing it's his last film, I'm so sad this is his last film. <laughs> like, God, sorry, Bernard. But, yeah, like, you can never take away the legacy that he had on, on the franchise. And, um, you know, he, for one, is top three, top five most iconic actors to be in the James Bond series, second to none. Um, It's very hard to compare... Bernard Lee and Judy Dench, because I think that Judy Dench had something so much bigger to play in her later movies. But if you're going to take, let's say, her first two performances, or even if you include The World Is Not Enough, where she was playing the classic M, she doesn't come close to Bernard Lee. And uh, he, re- like you guys said, he is M. Nobody else will ever be the same as him, which I think it was so necessary, not just because Robert Brown was kind of just blah it was so necessary it was so necessary to have judy dench somebody who was so different and to have somebody who was so different even just in gender where it was noticeable you can never say this is the same character because you can't replace him and i would defy anybody to come up with one bad m scene uh, or even one bad moment that bernard lee has in these movies where he's not giving it his all the funny thing is, is if you look on his nine movies or what eleven movies, uh, he doesn't have those those big moments that Judy Dench has to play. But yet, it doesn't really matter because he just owned his character and the whole authority over Bond. But at the same time, having that annoyance with Bond, I mean, he brought things to the character that weren't even in the book. But he also brought that character from the book to the screen so well that, like you were saying, Noah, when you read the books. You're always reading it as him playing it. So, I mean, nothing but good things to say about him. And I completely agree. I mean, he is one of the icons of the James Bond series. One thing I like about his M, and I, Judy Dench is hands down the second best M, but she's too much involved in it, I think, sometimes. Like, she's off mm-hmm. in the scenes, like, quantum, she's there when the bad guys are there. And, like, she's too much involved. And, like, it's a different time or whatever, but... To me, M is the guy behind the desk, and that can be boring, I know, but like he's the boss of MI6. He's not out... Like, I know these later Moors have kind of had him in the monastery and all that, but uh, maybe we'll do an episode on the M's or the MI6 crew or something, but bye-bye, Bernard. Very sad. Pigeon double take. Um, <laughs> all right, so I think we're pretty much done, and we can move into our kind of endy thingies. Um, what order are we going to do this in, now? Yeah, well, let's do it in the right order, and let's play this clip. Kiss the kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yes, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Um, I think that's what was just played. Uh, I couldn't quite hear it, but um, what? let's say that clip was played. My headphones fell out. Um, something tells me this is not going to be a live and let die agreement here. Um... Let's start with Bond, James Bond. Can we all agree on one? Yes. Yes. Martini, one from Manuela. Yes. Yes. Kiss, three. Yes. Yes. 
You could count the airplane lady in Africa, but I didn't no, count her. I don't think they'd... Oh, that. he didn't get anywhere. No. All right. Maybe a few fingers or something, I don't know. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> the finger-finger count is a different episode, Ben. <laughs> We've talked about good head for two and a half hours, okay? I think that's pretty safe. Tongue-tongue, finger-finger count. Um, <laughs> I know that my... <laughs> Kill count is going to be different because I didn't include the. All right, can we agree? Are we including the two scientists? Because if so, I'll, I'll add I'm, it on. To I mine. included them. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll add it on. I didn't write it down, but I actually agree. I just something missed it there. So my count is, and I know this is going to be wrong compared to what you guys have got, but I've got boom, 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 fifteen. No. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's <gone>. No. No. <laughs> no. I have. 19. Um, 19? Yeah. Whoa. I'll, I have 12. Do you want me to... I can quickly go over mine if you like. Cause I've, yeah, please do. Um, all right. So we have obviously um, the the knife guy in the Venice fight, like throwing the knife into him, um, killing the guy. Do not want to go in order? Say that again. Do you not want to go in order? Oh, no. Because my first three, I realized I'd marked down three, but I hadn't actually put them in order. So I quickly wrote them out of my notes. So this, these first three are out of order. Um, the guy in the tree, and then when he was falling down from the sky when he stole his parachute. I'm assuming that yep, guy died. That's three. Um, so then I've got the two scientists. So that takes him up to five. Um, yep. Then he killed Chang. Cha-Chang. Chang, yep, Chang. Six. So that's six. Then I reckon I. Oh, the guy going through the sign. From the ambulance yep, I fight. Him. Uh-huh. Now, I'm guessing I'm going to lose it here in the boat because what I've got in here, I've got he blew up two boats, which I believe each had three in them. And then when he yep. killed, the, when Jaws went over, I said that there were three in that, but I think, Colin, you established there were two in there. Two others. Okay. I didn't count it at all. Well, so I, I've got six in the boat chain. Well, I'm happy to take one off and say there was only two in that boat rather than three. So you can make mine but 18. Is that at the a moment. bond? Kill. But I, I just, I, my argument with that is, like, I understand that point. But again, we've had that, like, I know with the three blind mice, and we've had that with some other chases too, that he indirectly doesn't kill them, but they die chasing him. Yeah, but I feel like the three blind mice, he does attempt that on this one. Yeah. He's just trying to save his own ass by jumping but, onto the hang line. But, uh, like, they could have uh, just turned around and... Also, I, the other thing I remember us saying in Dr. No was that Bond gets out of his car and he looks down three blind mice and he has a you know cheesy one liner and that kind of solidifies something his intention. In this, yeah. I don't even think he looks back to see that they even land in the water. All right, well, yeah, I'm, he... I'm happy to take them off, but I just, I mean, that's my argument. So, okay, take those off. I personally don't count them, but I guess majority will. So, okay, so, so take, I'm saying no. take mine down to 16 then. The other ones I've got, I added the snake because we got into trouble for not including the snake. Yeah, oh, that's right. The spider. Uh, where have we got here? None there, none there, none there. Where am I? Oh, and Drax. Yep, that's my last one. So, okay, mine must be down to 16 then with taking those three out of the boat. Well, I've got 15, okay. so what's your extra one? So, hang on, have I added this up correctly? Keep talking amongst yourselves, guys. No, no, I mean, because I had 12, but I somehow forgot to write down the, the guy in the tree and the knife, uh, the, the coffin guy. Oh, they're definitely kills. And- yeah, and I and I also didn't count uh, the snake. Um, the snake. So that, let me see. That, that puts me out. That brings you to fifteen, One, doesn't it? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
13, 14, 15. So where have, oh, I, I've gotten, got 15 where have I gotten 16 from? Then maybe I've just done my math wrong, I reckon. All right, I'm, yeah. I'm happy with 15 because that's only, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down with 15. I'm down with the, the majority, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were until you said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this episode. Now, now we're kicking you out of the majority. Um. <laughs> now, okay. So that brings us to fifteen. Is what have we actually established? What film is killed the most? And was it Spy Love Me? Because we got nineteen last no, episode. It is Thunderball. Thunderball. Okay. Twenty-two. All right. So that means then that our total we're up to, and this closes out the seventies, of course, and we'll give an updated count on what the seventies total is in our seventies retrospective next episode. So, with fifteen kills, that brings them up to one hundred and thirty-three total kills. Uh, kisses slash fingers, uh, we're up to thirty-one. Uh, Ma- no, hang on, yeah, that's right. Martinis were up to seven, and Bond James Bonds were up to eleven. Cool. Um, we. 11 and 11 movies. There you go. But martinis. Yeah, we're down a bit. He's got to start drinking a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Um... Juan needs to become a full-fledged alcoholic quickly. <laughs> Otherwise, this whole segment is going to be trapped. We should have done the Bollinger, because I swear Bollinger is mentioned more than vodka martinis at this point. <laughs> Play the next sound clip. It's the hole. The hole with the classic scene. And that sound clip was Ben. I think it was Hall of Fame, Noah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my earphones fell out. Same. So. I just believed it was. So let's go. Was it Hall that. of Fame, Colin? Your earphones were in. I don't know. I was still singing the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang over. Ah, uh, we all missed it. Let's just say Hall of Fame because that's probably what just played. Noah's singing. Um, it was good. All right. What have we got? Oh, I'm lost in this. Can we just do nothing in this movie? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about it going in, but then as we started doing the recap, a couple jumped out at me. I've got a few, but none of them are standouts in the top ten. Look, uh, opening scene, the play. Oh, yeah. yeah. The skydiving, for sure. Skydiving, we're all in the green. Well, one I, I would make the argument for is the 60s at the end of the films, they were all about Bond gets the girl and they hide under a parachute or they hide in a boat or whatever. Um that was iconic to the 60s, and that kind of went away with Diamonds Are Forever and Majesties. The the 70s and Roger Moore's, they kind of became known for Bond with the girl and then MI6 or someone official is watching and they make a funny comment. We saw it in Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Love Me, and we'll see it again next film. I feel like this is the most iconic one, and it's more of a quote than anything, but it's such an iconic moment. It's constantly played like Channel 9 plays it for their advertisements for this film. And I think we need to represent those endings to the Roger Moores at least once in the Hall of Fame. So I'm putting that. I'd agree with that. Scene I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, do we have any others that could edge it out? Like I was thinking the the fight with Chang, the the glass fight, is definitely worth oh, play it again. Sorry. And maybe the cable car. But I almost feel as much as I shit on it, I just feel we have to put something to do with space in it. Like I mean, well, Bond having sex mm- in space. <laughs> I guess, true. Yeah, that would be that one. So we're just, is that what we're going to write? Bond up. sex in yeah. space. <laughs> Bond attempts will, re-entry. I think he's attempting re-entry. Yeah. I would put the gondola up no. just because for lols with a Z. I don't but I think that... that there are two sequences in this movie where you could take them seriously and they're solid action scenes, the cable car and the glass fight. I think the cable car, I love the glass fight, but... The cable car is just pretty iconic, and even though I hate the ending with the love story, that's 
pretty iconic and a lot of people remember that. Is this more an iconic cable car scene than a view to a kill? Yes. Probably. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm happy with cable car. Yeah. So we'll go with skydiving scene, Bond enters uh, Goodhead and Cable <laughs> in space and Cable Car. Well, at least Bambi and Thumper aren't there. <laughs> All right, so that means that we've got one more, do we? Do we press play on that now? Play it again, Sam. Ranking speed. Oh, uh, there we go. Oh, ranking. You really did a strong performance on that one, Ben. Thank good you. Job. I thought I would, um, you know... Better ma- than the last time. I thought I'd make something good in this uh, episode and talk about this movie, so... Oof. All right, we'll do the rankings and in doing so also give a summary and sum up your thoughts for Moonraker. Um, so I guess I've got to go first here. Um, I'm tossing up between two spots. For me... We've picked it apart so much, but hey, we did that for Dr. No too. Um, uh-huh. and we, but the thing is, we've been laughing throughout. This is probably the most fun we've ever had on an episode, and that wouldn't happen with uh, another movie that wasn't this fun. Like, we had so much fun because the movie is so much fun. I don't like the Jaws stuff, I don't like the Dolly stuff, the gondola, like, they can get rid of it, play it against Sam. It's so ridiculous, but it's so much fun. I can always put Moonraker in and have a good time. Um, I appreciate that there's so many bad things about this film, but the thing, reason I like Bond is because they're like big films. That's what makes them fun. The space stuff doesn't bother me like it bothers Ben. It's ridiculous, but just accept it for what it is and you'll have a lot more fun. And people say Roger Moore's bored, but I think he still gives a good performance in this film. So... It's not an all-time classic, but I'm actually going to put it in seventh place. Oh. So it's going to be above The Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, You Only Live Twice, and Thunderball. Oh. There's a lot more films to come that are going to top it, but I just have so much fun, and I always used to view Moonraker as a classic when I was a kid just because I didn't have the internet and know that people hated it, but <laughs> like my dad and people in his generation always talk about Moonraker as one of the most memorable Bond films, and I think it is memorable for the wrong type reason sometimes, but it's popping in at seven. It beats Man with the Golden Gun and Live and Let Die just for me because I think it's just so much fun. I, I really do enjoy the film. I'm a Moonraker apologist. They're done. My dad also talks this one up, but I've just come to terms with the fact that my dad's an idiot sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's one way to put it. I love my dad. Uh, look, I, I think this movie would be summed up perfectly if we had the gangsters from Goldfinger watching this movie. What's that? What are they doing in space? Why is there a gondola turning into a uh, hovercraft? What's what is this? A merry-go-round? What's he becoming a cowboy for? This makes no sense. Why is that pigeon giving me a dirty look? I don't make deals with people who go into space. Um, I, I... I can't. I can't do anything but put it at dead smack bang last 11. Oh, last movie, I put cool. it at number one, Spy Love Me. This movie, smack bang, down the bottom. And I honestly can say from this point moving forward, I cannot see any film. Because um, we're coming into a lot of films 
that I that I enjoy a lot of films no, that are I universally say, considered yeah. a bad that I actually love. I can't wait till we get to the Dalton films because I know they're going to get ripped into, but I'm going to be defending them. Um, so look, I'm saying it right now. I cannot see any film from this point forward, and we're not even halfway yet, moving to the bottom of the table. So I think I've just locked in my last ranked Moon film. Moonraker can't be your bottom. What would it, what what would you put? No, I said I don't want to ask that because I know what the answer would be. But I, I like I. There might be one film that I could say uh, that would maybe go below it. Maybe we get to never say never again. I haven't. I've honestly never watched it. So like, look, yeah, no, nah, I, I can't see this changing. Uh, I, I. I... Don't think that it is anywhere near dead last. Um, I have Diamonds Are Forever dead last, and you only look twice, slightly above that. And those two movies are bad in comparison to this, and they're also quite boring at times. This is never boring, but I'll also say I enjoy talking about this, and it is a this is probably the most fun we've had recapping a movie. But when I was watching the movie, I found it very bland at parts. Um, and there are a lot of parts that I really enjoyed. But overall, I would consider it to be kind of flat. A lot of the things they attempted to do were just kind of flat and uh, insignificant. I only really started to have fun with it as I started with my wife kind of started tuning in and I could make fun of little bits and pieces of it. But it's still a decent Bond movie. Like, there's nothing wrong with this. So... I love the space stuff, as dumb as it is. I've always loved the space stuff and love the entertainment value of this movie. I'm kind of on the fence between this and The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, if I really had to choose one over the other, I I would have always in the past said Moonraker, but I just think The Man with the Golden Gun had a little bit more life where it needed it, especially with the cast. Oh, um... <laughs> I'm going to honestly. I'm going to put it one notch above the man with the golden oh, gun. Don't. I don't. Yeah, I and I love the man with the golden gun, and I love this movie. I, yeah, I, so I I'll probably go back and rewatch this and say, oh, I probably shouldn't have put it ahead of the man with the golden gun. But it is fun enough that you know we could really laugh talking about this, and we also do have some scenes that are really well done. The cable car is well done. The fight scene with Chang's well done. The the space stuff's you know well done, and the movie's very misunderstood. And I think that too often it, it lands at the bottom. I, ben, I understand all of your reasons, but I think for most people, it lands at the bottom for the wrong reasons. People saying this is James Bond goes into space. This is James Bond spends twenty minutes in space and spends an hour and forty or an hour and twenty five minutes or whatever the rest of the running time is just having a typical James Bond adventure. Some works, some doesn't, but. Just the look of this movie is good enough to have it a little bit higher. So what number does that end for you? Eighth, I think that makes it, if I've got my calculations uh, correctly. No, my, that would put this at seventh for me as well, I think. If you put it at seventh, then Live and Let gun. Die moves down a spot. No, because Live and Let Die is... No, 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 you're right. Yeah, so this would be eight. Yeah. So eight, Colin's... Man Golden... Yeah. Do you want me to go Colin's over got... them, Noah? <laughs> Colin... <laughs> Colin's got eighth, I've got it seventh. And Ben's got it eleventh. Correct. Sport of sport. Um, yeah, that's it. Then uh, let's talk uh, B 
Ben, you've got to do yeah, I'll just, box office. I'll do these. And quick. Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. <laughs> we just got to read his stuff. Is that the intro ready to go for, no. uh, for your eyes only? We won't, <laughs> we won't put it in this one, but I think, there we go, Colin, no, you've got some homework. I've already got one. Colin needs Nah, that. too late, Colin. I'll send you that clip. That can be uh, the intro. <laughs> <laughs> No, we don't need... Too late. Um, all right. This segment is 30 seconds. We don't need an intro. Box office. Uh, we, we should mention that going into this, this was the highest um, budget that they had. Apparently, it was like all of them combined up until this point. Um, and it was quite successful. Uh, made $70,308,099 until GoldenEye. This made it the most successful James Bond film for at least 16 years. It wasn't overtaken until uh, 1995. So um, it worked. Their gamble, hey, let's copy Star Wars. So in the end, it worked for them making some cash. Eighth most successful, unadjusted. If you adjust it, it becomes the fifth most successful, $235 million. 13900 making $4 million more than Die Another Day uh, on the adjusted ticket prices. Uh, for our dear friend Peter Travers, well, look, I've managed to defend him for a lot of this, but he's put this at fucking 15th, which puts it ahead of oh, such gems me. as A View to a Kill. He puts it ahead of Diamonds After He puts it ahead of Goldeneye. The world is not enough. Tomorrow never dies. No, Peter. No. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, Peter Travers is your friend, Ben. Not anymore, <laughs> he's not. We're not welcoming him him into the majority. Shoving um... through a fucking billboard. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's box office. Um let's talk about the next one. James Bond will return in for your eyes only. No, really he will return in for your eyes only. Um Yeah, for me, I know this one is absolutely adored. Um to me. To use a reference that no one will get except for Hello Catherine, um, this is the Panama Exile Island of the series for me. I just, it's good. It's a bit flat. I think the villain is flat. I think the Bond girl is flat. It's got some good action. It doesn't have the best locations, the best plot. It's definitely bringing it back down to <laughs> down to earth, like literally. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's fine. I just don't absolutely love it. Like a lot of people put it as their like number third favorite, and I can tell you right now, it's not in my top three. But yeah, I enjoy For Your Eyes Only. I'm excited to watch it because it's not one that I've seen as many times as something like Moonraker or um, Spy Love Me. So I have seen it recently, like a year ago, two years ago. But to really uh, watch it in depth, I'm excited to do. But not one of my favourites, but it's definitely not going to be in my bottom either. So uh, I think we're heading into a new period of the series after we've come out of the anomaly that is Moonraker. So, yeah, bring it on. From the 70s into the 80s, we're into a decade which I know a lot of people hate and that really nearly killed James Bond for various reasons. Um I personally love the 1980s. There's probably one film that I am not a very huge fan of, but I say that because I have not seen it. I've just seen it once, and I haven't probably seen it in 10 years. That's Octopussy. So I am going to wait till we get to that to see where I stand at after all these years. 
I am a fan of Your Eyes Only. I think out of all the Roger Moore films, it's this, Moonraker, and A View to a Kill that I've seen the most. I think I remember seeing this late at night with my dad, and he's like, hey, this is a, another Roger Moore one. Let's watch this one. And then we went and rented it. And um... No, Dad, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I rank it as highly as like number three or number four. It might sort of... I, I like your Panama reference. Hello, Survivor Oz fans. And just to put that into clarification, the ultimate middle movie, I think, that was sort of... Uh, putting it out there as um, I yeah, no one might sneak into my top ten. It's probably been a few years since I've seen it, but I've, I've always see, I always thought this was one that wasn't well liked, and I was weird for liking it. Maybe I haven't read all the. I think it's more of resurgence in the last few years. Um, my only gripe, I think, when we get to it, is again we're really getting into Roger Moore should be in a nursing home stage, and um, <laughs> that's where my faults are with these next few movies. And like again, I love a view to a kill, but come on, Roger, like. Just retire. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the 80s. We've done well here. I remember it only seemed like yesterday we were saying, strap yourselves in for 38 years of Roger Moore. And um, not only will we be basically past the halfway point of Roger, where I think at the end of the next movie, that's our halfway point, isn't it, of the official Bond films, at least until no. Spectre comes out, and if you include Never Say Never Again. So... Yeah, let's let's. Hello, Barry Nelson. Let's get let we'll do our seventies retrospective episode, and then we're into the eighties. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I am one of those people who absolutely adores Free Your Eyes Only. I think it's uh, easily going to be a top ten movie for me once we're done this. And Moore is looking a little bit older, but I feel like this is the movie where he's acting like a young Bond. I mean, we get to see him be a little bit more of a killer this time, and his action scenes aren't nearly as over the top as we've seen up until this point. I mean, the movie becomes very grounded in reality, and I'm not a huge fan of John Glenn for some of his later movies, but I think especially here in For Your Eyes Only, he did such a good job just doing the exact same thing Peter Hunt did back in Honor Magic Secret Service, which is just grounding Bond in reality again. That and ending? even though... And with what? That ending? The ending of Fear Eyes Only? Yeah, very grounded in reality. Yeah, well... <laughs> okay. The joke died, <laughs> move on. <laughs> yeah. It took me a few seconds to get the joke, and by then I didn't care. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but, like, the movie is not... He's not going into space. He's not in a giant tanker that swallowed a submarine or on a giant floating city on the ocean and doing car flips. But everything in the movie works so well. I mean, the, the mountain climbing stuff's fantastic. And Bond's just a cool character again in this time, more than just a wisecracker. I just love For Your Eyes Only. And uh, I think we'll also have some good stuff to make fun of in the movie too, which is kind of what these podcasts are based on so it, it's going to be it's going to be really fun to talk about that one one quick thing i just want to add one of my favorite james bond posters in the history of the series Oh, giant thighs and little bond i think it's great i just love the fact yeah you've got this woman and the wedgie and bond in between the legs looking <laughs> up with the gun i think it's great it's probably one of the most famous posters if not the most famous poster of all the james bond movies yeah yeah, well, it definitely led to me hiring her at the video store when I saw that cover. So, um, it's George's sister. Yeah. Um, as Ben mentioned, we've got the 70s episode next um, before we get to Fear Your Eyes Only, so we're not quite there. But um, 
that should be fun to give out our final answers to some of those questions that we had last time. You know, you've heard it if you're a fan of this podcast. But then we got for your eyes only. In the meantime, subscribe to our feed on iTunes. Do we have a feed? Yeah, we'd have a feed. Um, subscribe to it. Um, send us a comment on a website. I don't think we've had any comments on the website. We've heard some from people, but I don't think we've had any on well, the website. Catherine commented. On the website? I think she did, yeah. Oh, hello, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Um, <laughs> Hi, Linda. Uh, <laughs> not, yeah. Um, and the forums, we're always loving hearing from there. Ben got a message on there to introduce himself, which he didn't do. Um, I'm too scared to. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Ben and I like die another day. Next. <laughs> yeah, can they kick people out of those forums? <laughs> I like some person was like, oh, why did you have a picture of die another day? Well, I want people to reply to me. <laughs> Yeah, so do all that. We'd love to hear from you. Always enjoy it. Um, and I will say to end this off, my name is Noah and here's to us. My name is Ben. Thanks for the good head and fuck off Moonraker. And I'm Colin and enjoy your cucumber sandwiches. And take me around the world one more time before we listen to the next podcast. Good night, goodbye and good head. His name's Jaws. He kills people. Defy all my attempts to plan an amusing death. I am looking for Dr. Goodhead. You just found her. A woman. There's 007 back from that African job. He's on his last leg, sir. Any higher, Mr. Bond, my ears will pop. About that list your I never learned to read. Why did you break up the encounter with my pet python? I discovered he had a crush on us. May I trace you to a cucumber sandwich? Play it again, Sam. Balls cue. Bolus, 007. You missed, Mr. Bomb. Did I? Make me around the world one more time. Dr. Goodhead. And the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Calling Dr. Goodhead. Dr. Goodhead. Dr. Goodhead. Holly Goodhead. You delivered a shuttle to the U.S. government. Then you were hijacked. Why? Because I needed it. Activate laser. Prepare to destroy spacecraft. At last came from the Death Star. And it's operational. My God, what's Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. You have arrived at a propitious moment. What's that? Even in death, my munificence is boundless. What? You appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. What was that for? Take a giant step for mankind. Here's to us.